listening to season two of Pod. We are sisters, one West Coast, one East Coast, one straight mom of toddler twins, one gay, uh, multiply divorced, <laughs> one lifelong gag of the Chrissy fan, one new reader. Season one got the two of us through the first shitty year of COVID. Follow along with us for season two as we drink and sometimes remember to talk about the book. Well, welcome oh. to a very special edition of Pod, or in this case, we'll call it Osman Prod. Because it is not a Praro story. It's not an Agatha Christie story. It's an very modern story that was came out in 2021 yes okay written by right. richard osman um and it's called the man who died twice and it's the second in the series of murder mysteries the first and, one being um the thursday murder club which you should go and read yourself but we're not going to yeah, do it read that one also. first and then read this one um and they will be spoilers which in this case it's not an old piece of literature so pause us and go back to it and then listen to us as the recap right so it's yeah and but the um, reason but we're including this in our promo pod is because it's very directly agatha christie inspired um in delightful ways and it gives us i think what i would say is he really melds the humor of the tommy and tuppence the murder is mystery she's it's got humor murder spy and super happy fun times like it like it really gets all of the best of agatha christie's stories and, and really blends smart, it into one and super smart old people super smart old people super smart women naming they're kind of like you know being you know the uh, misogyny that still exists and combating it. it it really i think is so delightfully Agatha Christie derivative in a way that really works. It doesn't feel like he's just rehashing it, but it feels like he keeps nodding in some really nice ways to it. So it's it's more adult themed than Agatha in some ways. Um, like there's some swear words and there's references to like sex and in a more direct way than um, Agatha Christie ever did. On the other hand, right. especially but it also no. just feels like modern in that it doesn't feel like he's pushing boundaries for now. It just feel like, and I don't, I wasn't living right. when she was writing, but it feels like he's just being on par with what an audience would be comfortable with now. Right. Um, but it's actually very sweet in a kind of a Tommy and Tup way, even though there's murders, it's, it's like if Amelie was solving a murder mystery, kind of sweet. Oh my gosh! You know that's my favorite movie, right? <laughs> I did not. You didn't know that? That's like my literal, my identity is that it's my favorite movie. Like it's, it's such a great movie. I, yeah, and I uh, know that makes me kind of a cornball, but I'm okay with it. Like it's okay. Yeah, Chris and I both love that movie too. We've watched it. Just like we feel depressed, let's go watch Amelie. No, it's no, seriously. Like yeah, that's 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 literally my. my so, but it's my got a little movie. bit of that. You know, interesting. Being... I never would have thought of it that way because I feel like, yeah, interesting. Well, especially but yeah, since... she does have a little bit of like agenda, and she does like you're right. She meddles. 
she meddles, but also where she's like, love in the sex shop, you know, like where, you know, it could have right. gone and there's, dark. There's that naivete combined with like hardcore porn sort of thing, like with these clashing of worlds. And you're right. And that, that, it, that, I think there's a lot of that in the book. There's that like naivete combined with something like spy stuff and okay yeah, you're and, right yeah yeah so that's why it kind of if amelie was so it's like it's got miss marple but like amelie and then murder spy stuff and then the humor that we saw with tommy and tuppence um and what i really thought was nice because you you've brought up many times how in some of the books that we felt challenged with like um in um seven dials where like a young person dies and it's really sad and it's still dealt with lightly. Mm -hmm. And I thought in this one, when the young person dies, like they acknowledge that they're like, Oh, this is all fun. And you know, drug dealers are getting murdered. Nobody cares. But like this young person died and that's sad. And they have a moment for it. Oh, definitely. And so he really does a good job of hitting a note of like, you know, in the middle of all this, always in this so fun and we're being silly, but then like, no, something seriously bad happened. And we acknowledge that as well. So let's get into a little bit more of the plot. Clearly we're gushing. Right. But this takes place. And again, the the first book, um, The Thursday Murder Club, sets up this dynamic where there's these full people who live in. It reminds me of where our grandparents lived, right? When we were growing up. Right, right. Which was It's basically like a, a retirement community where in order to live in this like property, you have to be over a certain age level, age, age. Um, but these all in their 70s and they have different yeah 70s and they're all mid to late 70s and then they're all in different apartments or small houses right but they're all it's a it's a community and they have stuff like a and yeah they have the pool place for pilates classes and it happens to be um on land that was formerly um uh, convent. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. Which we learned more about. Convent, which was yeah, which was key to the plot of the first book. Right, right. Um, and the first book came out in 2019. Sure. Um, Somewhere around there. Um, and there is going to be a sequel to this one, um, which is not supposed to be out till September. Um, and can't I definitely wait, can't wait. It was so sad when I finished this. I was like, oh, I have to wait till September. <laughs> so the right. four the four people. Um, and so it's interesting to think about because these people are our parents' ages and right. they are very different that are so Elizabeth is smart and what's his name? Stephen. Stephen. Uh, right, so and, Elizabeth is a little bit the ringleader of the group, and she's a former MI5 agent. Yes, and Stephen so, is smart and wonderful, but also suffering from some dementia, and so he right. Is, he mostly stays right. So she's home. got this really sweet relationship with him, but he and he was a professor in like ancient art. Um, maybe Middle Eastern art and he um, and so he was brilliant he is brilliant and he's got advancing dementia so in the first book and then further into this when they kind of watch her 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 journey of 
um, caring for him and trying to, you know, deal with his advancing dementia, which is a really sweet storyline, which again, I think you and I related to having gone through that with our dad. Yeah. So Elizabeth is the ringleader, former MI5 agent. Joyce is um, the retired nurse. She's incredibly sweet and she brings in Tay. I mean, one of my favorite subplots is that she decides to start an Instagram. <laughs> and so the way that this book does the narration is it rotates who's the in the first person. But whenever it's Joyce, she's writing a letter or she's writing in her diary. Right. And, and she, she said a she said a Sherlock's home style. So she's writing in an actual book doing Sherlock home style. Everyone else, the narrator, is reading their thoughts. But Joyce actually writes first person. So it's a little bit more storytelling style, whereas at least we, we get to hear from everyone's perspective with the narrator reading their thoughts. So this funny little subplot, um, which isn't important to the plot itself, is that... It is important to the plot itself. Not the Instagram. Yeah, huh? That's how she finds... Oh, you're right. You're right. Him hiding. Okay. And that's what, another one of the things that I thought was so Agatha Christie-like and brilliant is that there was a lot of random details like Joyce has an Instagram and she's getting like dick pics and whatever. Well, yeah. Because um, but some... it actually ties into the way that the, the you know, the, 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 the story culminates. So she, in one of her little things where she's kind of rambling, we think, in her letter is she's like, I want to start an Instagram because all the young people are doing it. And so I needed to come up with a name because nobody was contacting me or wanting to be my friend when I just said Joyce something. So no, I it, was a, it was it's, it's a, like Joyce was taken, like her first name, last name was taken. So she was playing around with different, you know, and Instagram is suggesting try a nickname. And so she goes for joy. Great joy. Great joy. And then... And the- she does that with the year of her daughter's birth. Which happens to be 69. So her, so her Instagram, Instagram handle is greatjoy69. Great and <laughs> then she's like, and suddenly I have all these um, DMs, but I don't know how to access them. And it's just, this is where I was hearing my Aunt Vivian's voice. Yeah, she has a lot of Vivian in her. Um, where it's just so sweet and also like, um, I don't know if I want to tell you. Do I want to tell you? But then the funny thing about Joyce is she, she it's funny because it actually is so true because she, from the beginning, she tells us that people underestimate her and people tend to overlook her. Mm-hmm. And even in that, we're like, oh, she's so simple. She doesn't understand that she's getting all these direct messages because that's her name and whatever. And then towards the end of the book, she's like, oh, Donna showed me how to check my direct messages and told me I need to change the name if I don't want to get so many of these, like, you know, illicit photographs. And she's like, of course, I'm not going to do that. So, like, <laughs> she's she's also not squeamish. You know what I mean? Like, right, right. Like, she's, she's the like, one oh, who's, like, bonus. perving on every guy. She comes across very sweet old lady. But she also is not as, as, you know, she's also lived, you know, 77 years on this earth and she's not born yesterday. And so she comes across right. so sweet. But when she figures out like, oh, they're sending me dick pics, she does not change her handle. Right. <laughs> yeah, which is hilarious. So then Ron is probably the quietest. Um, he's apparently covered in tattoos. Um, 
one of them for and his- he's a little bit famous because he was a, a union um you know a guy who fought for the unions and so he'd been on the right. news so a lot negotiating left. Yeah. yeah radical left um and, and, in and the so everybody book, knows his name. He was like known as Red Ron back in the day. And so he kind of has a name for himself. And in the first book, his fieriness is part of the story more. But in this one, uh, not as much. Uh, uh, right. But, uh, but, he but he's established as this kind of like working class fighting guy. Right. And then there's Ibrahim. And Ibrahim is a retired uh psychiatrist 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 um and has been a therapist for years um but now retired right Uh, and he's it's established that his background is that he's from egypt right and so the four of them and he's a very they have all these jokes about him and like he likes to make lists and he likes to make spreadsheets and he likes to laminate things and he likes to he's a very you know, organized guy who wants to like tell you the story of how he made the spreadsheet, right? And how he did the math, right. and, and so, so you could just picture him as this very meticulous person, and it's so cute because they progress the friendship of Ron and Ibrahim from the last book into this book, where they're they call each other best friends. Ron's grandson called Ibrahim Uncle Ibrahim. Like they really progress their friendship, and they're such an unlikely pair. You've got this like working class union guy blah 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 and Ibrahim who's such an academic and such a kind of a you know a, heady yeah like he's such a yeah and, and so they're they're not a natural friendship and so it's just so sweet to see that the way that they really do click together right right and so that's the four major characters they are the ones who live at Cooper's Chase which is the retirement center and they started meeting on Thursdays to have the Thursday murder club so that's when the that's Thursday, the... yeah, and the Thursday murder club set up for as um, to try to look at old cold cases. Right, they would look at cold cases because one of their original members, who's now died, was a police officer, and so right. she would bring cold cases. And then her friend and her best friend Elizabeth, who had been best friends since forever, they would like look at these cold cases. And so, so um, that's how it but it was, started. but then there was an actual murder. And that's two in the first like, book. Oh, you know. in the first book. So in this book, they've been doing this already. And there's a couple of other characters from the first book, um, namely the cops. Um, and yes. so in the first book, these two <laughs> cops, which just are adorable, which is such a weird thing to say about cops. But right. Donna and Chris in the first book become partners. And and it's adorable because Donna is um, frustrated with Chris the cop who was um, making poor fashion choice. I can't remember exactly. She was like, oh, you could just be a pretty good guy. Right. So, so Donna's in her mid-20s and she's just like judging Chris hardcore. Meanwhile, he's her mentor and he's, you know, she's a brand new in, and he's in investigating his 40s, these I think. things he's in yeah he's 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 around 50 and, and so, so at first you're like is she interested is kind of weird but then at the end of the first book she introduces him to her mom and they start dating 
Right. And, and it's really cute because they have this like banter and like in that Tommy and Tuppet's way where they kind of like insult each other but really care for each other <laughs> kind of way Chris and Donna. So they're oh. partners and they're best friends and she ends up setting him up with her mom which is really sweet because when you saw the connection coming you're like is this going to be a gross 20s right. girl 50s guy right. romance. You're like no she set him up with her, with her mom. Um, and Donna is black and, and we assume Chris is white. Right. And so they speak to that a little bit in the book um, about her experience. And it's just like, it's it just, you know, I, it was interesting that they, you know, he, he defined her as a black character. Right. Right. Um, and then the character from the first book that we know is Bogdan. And oh, Bogdan, Bogdan is, so he's Polish. He's and, Polish, extremely Polish. And I could not tell his age because in the first book... I spent a lot of time trying to calculate Bogdan's age because based on the first book and him being there when the first thing happens, he's got to... I think he's around 40. See, I... Because it's hard because, of course, the, the four main characters describe him as young, but everyone's young to them. Um right. But first to say who he is, um, he is kind of the, he does jobs around the retirement center. And in the first book, there's some sketchiness about the retirement center and the people who are running it. And that's how the murders are involved. And you're not really sure if you should. But then it becomes clear that you should, but he also doesn't say a lot and partially it might be because he's in a second language but he seems to be trustworthy no i think he's just stoic i think he's fluent okay in english i think he's just stoic stoic. yeah um yeah right so he kind of is like the the you know he's the he could do anything like they, they literally like have him etch on a tombstone and he can build the new apartments and he can dig the whatever like right and he yeah. installs the you know, alarm system. So he's the he's the guy you need to do anything. He's the guy who can do anything. I and think he's got to be forties ish. I would I like was, him to be more thirties. See, I was guessing he was thirties, but it's really hard to tell. It's hard to tell because our, our they never really define that. He, we know that he's enormous, right? They talk and about tattooed. Big, big and tattooed. Yeah. Um. So anyway, so those are the characters from the first book. Right. And then, um, so one of the subplots is now um, Chris and Donna's mom, Patrice, have been dating for a while and they're at the lovey-dovey honeymoon stage. And it's fucking hilarious because Chris is trying to eat better and dress better when she's around. And he <laughs> has this interior monologue about it, which is hilarious. Donna is wretched well, and it's and it's just so funny because we've all been through that and again in in the first book it's a little bit more serious because he kind of is struggling with like food addiction and stuff but now in this one he's like so it turns out if you're eating better to impress someone or if you're eating better because you actually like to eat better either way you ate the apple <laughs> the nutrients right. are the same and he's right. like pretending to be a productive member of society is a lot like being a productive member of society, you know, and, and right. he's very accomplished at work, but he's the kind of person who would like accomplished at work and then like ate like a toddler. Right. And yeah. like, 
was basically divorced or probably divorced and just like you know lived in a bachelor apartment and just didn't take care of himself at all and so he's like i'm doing all these things i'm learning to make stir fry to impress this woman but like now i'm actually eating a stir fry and i know how to chop a pepper and like <laughs> and then he said that thing about like pretending to be happy is a lot like being happy because i actually have been happy while pretending to be happy interesting you know like and i was just i was thinking about that i i think those of us who who hasn't right been through transitions where you're like faking it either for yourself or others and you're like the faking it is basically the it right is that what everyone's doing are we all just faking it (laughs) right because when you're not faking it when you're just spiraling you're like everyone else is doing it and then once you start faking you're like maybe we're all just faking it is that just life (laughs) right his his internal you know monologue on that it's just so fascinating and and relatable so cute and relatable and then donna's interior monologue and extra monologue is oh my god could my partner stop making lovey-dovey sounds at my mother in front of me and it's hilarious right she set them up and she's so happy for them but it's also gross because it's like you know your partner slash best friend and your mom and they're like making sexual innuendos and you're just like i have to throw up now yeah exactly so that's just one adorable like uh, coming the first book and then um and that and that one actually really feels like a super happy fun times from the first book but like it, it gets this reality pulled into it you know they're right. actual like going through having the conversations about like where are we going with this and the whole thing and it 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 does feel super happy fun times it has the Agatha Christie because it's so like not incestuous but kind of incestuous like Donna's mom is with her partner like it's just you know pulling somebody out of like, he didn't meet a random person so it did have that super happy fun time Agatha Christie thing but then the, then in this book they you know, the relationship gets a little bit more interesting. Like as you go from dating for six weeks to 12 weeks, how that feels kind of thing. So I want to say something about how this is different from Agatha Christie. There are more characters, so it's going to be harder to explain them all. And bless his heart, I think there's a million and seven uh, chapters. No, wait. What is it? 83? Oh, yeah. Yeah. You really helped me because we were trying to block this. Again, a lot of the other books that we 84. have. Eight chapters? 84 chapters. Right. Like, and the first one was even more. It was over 100. Yeah. So he likes, like, he oh likes a chapter. And the chapters aren't long, but every chapter he switches narrator. Na- narrator. Right. And so, like, trying to. Amanda and I spent two sessions trying to figure out how to encapsulate this book and i still feel like we're going to be all over the place because well one the internet hasn't already done a lot of work for us because these are new books and when it comes to the agatha christie books the internet has already thought about these books a lot and here we were sort of starting from scratch fair but also there's way more characters way more chapters and And it's one of those things where you often see the same scene from two slightly nuanced perspectives which is interesting as a reader but as a recap um on a podcast right (laughs) could be tedious so we had to you did a great job in like outlining outlining the actual plot like what happened (laughs) so yeah which we haven't even got to yet but like so there's going to be way more characters way more subplots because agatha christie I can remember, you know, I was thinking about specifically um, the subplots and first-person um, narrator um, in uh, Hercule Poirot's Christmas. Um, you know, 
were subplots, but they were um, like three or four. And there's way more in this one. And there were Yeah, this one felt a lot more like one of her spy books. It felt a lot more Man in the Brown Suit, a lot more Tommy and Tuppets. It had a lot more of the nuance that those books have. Hey, Sushi! Yeah, Sushi is... um, Okay, I thought you were getting up, which meant that I could go get some more beverages. But she's like, no, no, no. Your lap is good. Um, So, yeah, so there's more. So it's going to be harder for, I feel like, for us to encapsulate this but just to tell you it's it's got more complexity than Agatha Christie ever did and maybe that's a more modern writing style maybe it's his writing style but I mean he benefits from her work yeah so you know again I I think it's derivative and it's like for people reading this a hundred years later who have read all of her stuff and read everything else in between like to do a fresh take but also still feel like Christie-esque felt you know i mean i'm just saying like it's right. it's and i do think that often there is a key with a good agatha christie where there's like a detail that you didn't really like key into that ends up being key to the plot and he does that right right so i can we don't introduce the rest of the characters until we go through the plot. right to get to the plot because the rest of them will come out with the plot that sounds good right, right. um and um, so so what I did was try to um, break it into three parts, which actually, to be fair, he broke it into three parts. He also broke it into 84 chapters. So my <laughs> I tried to put the three parts into not 84 little bits. Okay, so part one starts and Elizabeth is telling us she got a note from a guy saying we need to meet, but... I, I just happened to have moved in here to the retirement village where you live. Do you remember me? We met years ago. But the name that the note is from is a fake identity that they ended up, you know, creating, killing or using an unclaimed body from the morgue to kill a person who never existed because this was a fake identity that was used as a front to pass fake secrets to the Russians. So right. when the note comes from this person, Marcus Carmichael, she's like, first of all, you're dead. Second of all, you were fictional. Right. So that's right. a weird note to get. <laughs> who, who wrote me this note? Um, and then we also find out that um, uh, Joyce wants a dog. So, you know, yeah. that was and a Joyce very... wants a dog. And, <laughs> right. So uh, as the Thursday Murder Club is having the conversation out loud about should Joyce get a dog and this whole like hilarious conversation between Ibrahim and Ron and Joyce and about the dog, Elizabeth is in her own head thinking about I just got this letter right. from a dead man who never existed. So she goes and she doesn't tell them, but she also is so like I was a spy competent that you're like okay um if i were 75 i wouldn't want to go up to a door alone with something that i don't know what's going to happen but she's like can handle it and then it turns out that it's her ex-husband douglas who used to work with her in mi5 and that's why he knew the name because he worked with her in mi5 and um right and if you remember so um, Elizabeth is married now to her third husband, Stephen, who she is just so smitten with, so adores, but he's the one who is um, 
you know, has advancing dementia. So this is Douglas, I believe her first or second husband, I think second. I think um, second but, yeah. um, but they were spies together. So anyways, he's now in a safe house, but in her retirement village. Which he chose. And with a handler, turns out to be this young lady named Poppy, who was the new servant at the old, um, at the, was it a coffee shop? At their restaurant. Yeah, Yeah. they have a restaurant in in the retirement village. A craptastic server. And everybody had been like, (laughs) why is this woman, she's so bad at it. But it turns out it's because she's not. She's a server. actually an MI5 agent pretending to be a server who's who's really protecting bad at it. Douglas. Uh, Douglas explains that he broke into the house and on the job, still working for MI5. He broke into a house of a guy named Martin Lomax, and Martin Lomax is a bank for the worst people in the world. Like, right, so he they call him a money launderer, but basically, if two criminal organizations from different parts of the world are going to do a deal, they use him as a middleman to hold their like um, deposit to make sure the deal goes through, kind of thing. And he's British, and so the the MI5 knew that this is happening, and so they they snooped in his home when he was out and diamonds went missing and the diamonds were collateral like all of the stuff is how got yeah so they actually belong to the 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 new york mafia right were collateral for something or other but right. they were stolen from his home during this mi5 raid or and investigation in his home. douglas did the break-in with a mask on and then left the house before, well, the cameras, you know, because of course this guy's got incredible security and took his mask off because he was hot. So he's on camera leaving. So Martin Lomax knows it was him and says, you stole a, a lot, millions of dollars worth of diamonds, millions of pounds, I should say pounds, worth of diamonds. And so MI5 is protecting him. Now, Douglas is telling MI5 he doesn't know what he's talking about. The mis- um, Right. He's like, this guy's a criminal. He's making stuff up. I never stole any diamonds. They, maybe they didn't even exist. Um, and so that's what the story is. And he's like, I'm here at Cooper's Chase because I figured uh, that you could help me um, with this problem. Uh, he's telling Elizabeth, and Elizabeth is not exactly happy about any of this. Right. Uh, she doesn't look fondly back at their marriage, and it seems like, you know, when the first book, she had pulled in a lot of favors, so probably her name had come up at MI5, and so she, you know, he probably had remembered her and thought of her, so when this all came up, he thought that'd be a good place to hide, plus Elizabeth is pretty amazing, and so she would probably be good to help and they so they actually present it as a babysitting job for her poppy and douglas asked if elizabeth will help to protect him while he's there and she's like well i'm going to involve my friends and they're poppy's like well you can't tell them anything about this state secret and all that and she's like obviously i'm telling them everything i already did 
And Poppy is this interesting character because she is young. Poppy's probably also in her 20s like Donna. She wound up in MI5, but she doesn't seem doesn't necessarily love the work. She's not into it. She actually wants to write poetry. She comes off as this sort of like bohemian. Right. Yeah. So you're like, how did you? Yeah. Anyway. Um, and then the next scene is pretty awful because Ibrahim was doing an air. Oh, I hated this. When I would reread it, I was like, I can't. I would skip that chapter. It's so terrible. And he was walking the street and he saw some young, I'm going to say punks. He didn't call them punks. I'm going to call them punks. And, okay, and, and this, the background on Ibrahim is that he never married and he kind of lived, he was a psychiatrist, took care of other people, but he's always been a very cautious person for himself. Always very cautious. And so this scene is set up like he's driving to the into the town and he's going to coffee shops and he's seeing how to pay for the parking and it's kind of like him branching out it's him kind of like you know having his Laverne and Shirley moment where he's just like look at me doing the things and then this you know basically these kids mug him and and, and one of them like kicks him while he's down literally in in the back of the head steals his wallet and or steals his cell phone and like kicks him in the head while he's down and like this is like this old man you can picture this and it was not that he'd always been the kind of guy that would do that. He was like literally talking to himself while he's out like, see, it's good to do new things and it's good to get out there and don't be scared of the world. And then and this then, happened as he was starting to branch out. And so it's just, it's, it's just so hard. hard. Yeah. So of course he gets to the hospital and the Thursday murder club is like, oh, hell no. We are going to take care of this. So they go to Bogdan because Bogdan and, doing... and, and and don't forget. So they call Chris and Donna because in the first book, the Thursday Murder Club, these four old, older people really bond and become friends with Chris and Donna. Like like Elizabeth, the former MI5 agent, and Donna, the policewoman in her twenties, are really close friends. <laughs> like right. they're literally and... very close friends, and so. They, you know, they call in the cops, but the cops are literally like their friends. And so, but the problem is, is that there's not a lot of evidence um, about the attack. There's no direct evidence. And so Chris and Donna... It's going to be hard to prove. And it's such a sweet scene because when Chris and Donna come, they interview Ibrahim about what he remembers. And as we were saying, he's kind of a very meticulous guy. So... Here he is in the hospital room. He's been kicked in the head. He's an old guy, right? He's like, I'm so sorry. I normally am really good with details, but I don't remember much. And then he gives the most detailed description. He's like, you know, one of them was wearing Nike trainers that were this year and this color and all these things. And like, oh, and what describes wear, yeah. the exact model of the bike and the exact whatever. And like, he, he gives the most detailed description. Like, I couldn't imagine knowing any of those details, just me going on a Tuesday, not being attacked. And he's like, I'm so sorry, I don't remember more details. And it's, it's the most detailed thing because he just really is a very meticulous person. It's so sweet. But there isn't much evidence that the cops could actually arrest guys. But they, they know Chris and Donna are. know who the guy is because it, right. we know his game is we know his name is Ryan and 
from the description, Chris and Donna being cops, they know who the guy is that they're that he's talking about. Well, and this about. is not a particularly big town, so they're like, right. "Oh yeah, I know town. that. I know that guy." And so they pick him up, but the interview that they have with him is unsatisfactory because he's like, "What? I don't have any. You know, like there's no proof. It's just one of those like that feels like." not a lot is going to happen. And so Elizabeth is like, no, 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 no. So she's like, okay, I'll figure it out. So they, Chris and Donna, because they trust Thursday murder club, they interview, they tell Chris, they tell the Thursday murder club, the name of the um, suspect. And then Elizabeth is like, leave it to me. So um, then the next scene is, Bogdan is going to buy a bunch of cocaine. <laughs> Which is honestly the like one of the best subplots. So we had one of the subplots is that Chris and Donna have been following this local drug dealer. Her name is Connie Johnson. And they're like staking her out. But then she comes to their car and brings them like coffee and is like, I know you're staking me out. I'm way ahead of you. Donna, I like your eyeshadow. She's very sophisticated and cool, and she's on this. And so, um, so turns out because Bogdan is both legitimate, but also a lot illegitimate. Like Bogdan is is in both worlds, right? Somehow he's comfortable. We love Bogdan, but anyways, Bogdan knows people, and apparently Connie Johnson had hit on him before. Um, So Elizabeth goes to Bogdan and is like, "Oh, um, could you be a deer and?" buy me 20,000 pounds worth of cocaine. He's like, sure, no problem. I got you. <laughs> Which is the friend you want. You know, you just want the friend who knows like, yeah, I can do that for you. And so he think he remembers Connie Johnson. And so he goes, go ahead. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, so he goes and finish the point. Finish the point. I, well, I, I was, was just going to say, so he goes, so Elizabeth, we don't know where from, gets 20,000 pounds or 10,000 pounds or something and um, gives it to Bogdan to buy, you know, wholesale cocaine. He goes to Connie Johnson, which is one of the funny, again, this is one of those ones that's hilariously written because we hear it from his perspective and her perspective. And Connie Johnson is like, Ooh, Bogdan's coming. And she's like, she's has, she's has such a crush on him that the whole scene from her perspective is like, do I look good? How's my outfit? Oh no, I have lipstick on my teeth. How is this going? And from her, from his perspective, he's just like, oh, it looks like she's going on a date later. That's, you know, she put on some perfume that smells awful. Like, just the mismatch of their perspective. And the fact that, like, she's this, like, hardcore killer drug dealer. But the focus of this interaction for her is the fact that, like, she's trying to get a date with Bogdan. And, like, right. it's, it's just, and it, it, I really liked it because in so many of these moments, this one included in other times with Martin Lomax, where it's like, these serious criminals are like doing the criminal things or whatever, but they're also just like doing regular people's stuff. And I feel like not that I've been in a, you know, a drug dealer or an international money launderer, but you know, they also just like need to remember to buy toilet paper and stuff. So I feel like they did a nice job of like where they would like bring in the, like, these are big, huge crime people, but also did I remember to water my houseplants? You know, like, it's just right, the right. regular people stuff of them. And it's brilliant the way it's written. And so Connie Johnson, from her perspective, we actually, 
most of the menacing stuff that she does we hear in third person, but her first person dialogue is all about having a huge crush on Bogdan. And yeah, he's I mean, not into probably, her at all. I mean, because like her interior monologue is Bridget Jones, which is not <laughs> what you expect. When she's I'm a, like, right, this killer. We know she's dealer. a murderer. She knows she's a drug dealer, and she's just like, oh no, I have I have lipstick on my teeth. Ah, did he see it? He's gonna see. He see that I wiped it off. Will he know that I checked myself in the mirror? I'm like, this drug deal is all about that for her. Right, right. <laughs> so then, um, uh, Elizabeth and Douglas go on a walk with Poppy trailing behind them and she's listening to her headphones and that's important later. Um, but then Elizabeth gets Douglas to admit that actually he right. did steal the diamonds. He has them. He figured it would be time to retire. And now because he's apparently a dick, um, he like stole the diamonds and now he's having the British government protect him because he stole diamonds from a drug dealer or from a money launderer. So anyway so he's like um that's why i need your help and she's like whatever this is frustrating you're annoying um and then not long after that somebody comes to cooper's chase that's the name of the retirement community and tries to shoot him and then poppy saves his life by shooting him right so he's like hiding in the wardrobe um, as this assassin is coming in to threaten him to figure out what the diamonds are. And then Poppy, who's his handler, does her job and kills the guy. And it's interesting because I don't know a lot about guns, but like in this book, every time, whatever caliber gun they're using, they literally say they blow the person's head off. Yeah. So for. There's three times that a person's head is like basically blown off with a gun. I'm like, what guns are they using? I don't know. I don't really, I don't know if it's more realistic the way I'm used to, you know. I don't know. about that, where it's just like a bullet hole in your regular head or having your head blown off. I don't, I really don't know. And I don't want to know. But every time in this, your head's practically blown off by a gun at close range. But, so then there's a scene where they call Joyce in because Poppy's upset because she's just blown this guy's head off. And Joyce is helping him, uh, helping her. And this is where Joyce's na- na- naive storytelling, but in a crisis with dead guy, she's just like, oh, I got this. And this is where. Right. And it, she used to work in the ER. So she was like, yeah, I want to see. The and it's so funny because like every time in this, they're just like dead body is something you would want to see. Like, or I feel like you and me, Portia, we'd both be like, oh, God, I don't want to see anything. Right, but like right. every, every character is like, oh, you didn't let me see the dead body. And so she's yeah. like, of course I wanted to see the dead body, but she's worked in the ER. She's seen it all. So she wasn't. She's not phased at all. She wasn't squeamish or phased. Yeah. But she and was then, like, I can be here to support Poppy. I don't need to go look at the dead body, although I want to. And then she finds a note in her pocket that says, hey, call my mom. Uh, just, say, yeah. just call my mom. Tell my, yeah, call my mom. Um, and, and, and so Joyce does call. How do you say it? Siobhan. Siobhan. Um, <laughs> I was reading it and you were listening to the audiobook and that is I know. And I actually like living in DC, I um there are enough people with Gaelic uh origin names that I Siobhan is one that I can do sight reading, but it's very confusing if you haven't seen it before. <laughs> right. Gaelic does not come up a lot. Oh yeah. So anyway, so she calls Siobhan and just says the story and what happens and um 
Oh, and the one thing I also have to mention. And it's is, funny, speaking to that, the Gaelic thing is funny because at some point Joyce is like, she at some point she must have been Irish, but she isn't anymore. Because <laughs> she was like, she also was baffled by the name. And I was like, okay, if British people are also baffled by Gaelic spellings. So um, one other thing to mention in this first uh, part before we climax the first part is that Joyce has been making friendship based bracelets. So every time we meet a new person, Douglas, Poppy, Siobhan, not Ryan bracelets. every time any new person, uh, she goes to visit um, the Marnie launderer, he gets a like, and then it's a that she gives it to you and you're supposed to donate to some cause you give her money and then she'll donate to charity whichever charity you want and consistently even when she's in for first person these friendship bracelets are hideous and poorly poorly constructed everyone thinks they're hideous but because joyce is a delight everyone wears them so um so yeah so that's there's also that going on um, she so got anyway, a pattern from a friend of hers and she's like, you, you make it and then you, you give it to people and then they, they give you, you know, a donation to charity and you pass it on to charity. There's this whole thing with that. So, then, uh, of course, Douglas and Bob Okay, have to say it move. again without the yawn when I, for, for, for editing Amanda. <laughs> <laughs> of course, Douglas and Poppy have to move because somebody came to shoot him at Cooper's Chase. He's right, so his location is compromised. So then he's moved to another safe house and Elizabeth gets a message that she's supposed to come and see him at the safe house. So she walks past the guard at the safe house with Joyce and it's deathly silent. And then they go in and they find both Poppy and Douglas shot dead. And, and their heads practically blown off. And their like, heads practically blown off. And that's the so end again, of And that's one. important because there's a like, is it really them thing, right? Like, could it be a fake body? So right. that's why or, the head blown no, off no. thing is important. Not a fake body, but a fake them. Yeah, it's right. a real a, body. A, the wrong body. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, so that's the end of part one. Ta-da, cliffhanger. Um, so then part two starts and we meet the MI5 agents who were in charge of Douglas um, uh, before, like we're working with Douglas, right? Once they weren't running, working with mm-hmm. him on the original Martin Lomax thing. So they meet him and Sue is Elizabeth only 20 years younger. Right. And so uh, Sue is- So she's a lead MI5 agent in charge of the whole Douglas situation. And, and then her partner in with- this- Right, her partner in this Lance, who's forties ish, and losing um, his hair. Yeah, and who's like a handsome guy who's losing his hair and therefore losing his looks, and has gone through a breakup and is sort of spiraling. Right. And there's and a hilarious moment where he is on his computer and he's like in there, it's like morning at work, and he's like on the computer looking at houses he can't afford, and, and thinking about hair plugs thinking about maybe getting hair plugs he's looking at his boss and he's like is she working or is she looking at porn or maybe she's buying something on asos or maybe she's looking at portraits of horses you never know with people and then he's like and he's kind of spiraling so he's just like sometimes when they give me a gun i want to shoot myself Eh, let me get to work like it's like 
really dark but then also very realistic where he's like spiraling but then also just it's a tuesday and you know mornings are hard <laughs> right because <laughs> there's this moment where they're like oh when he gives when they give him a gun he thinks about shooting himself and then in the next sentence it's just like eh, i should get some work done and so you're just like sometimes you have dark spirals and they're not that serious and right right Again, the the internal monologues that we get glimpses into for a lot of the characters, like Land isn't one of the characters that we get to know deeply, but his his moments are just like I get it, Lance, I get it. Right, right. <laughs> so then, Ibrahim um, after the is home from the hospital, but he won't leave his apartment. Yeah, he's and really gone a little agoraphobic after, after what's the happened attack. to him. And again, knowing he was someone who was already kind of scared of the world, and then this happened, so now he's just like, I'm not, see, this is prove me right, I'm never going to leave again. Even though intellectually, he's like, yeah, it's fine, but I just, I'm happy here, you know, like, he right. just... And it's so sweet, because again, Ron's his best friend, and Ron is sort of like, you know, man-man who doesn't know how to show affection or tell you I'm worried about you, but he's just there, not talking about what happened, but watching Die Hard with you. Only the first one, because the rest of them are a waste, which I disagree with, because the one with Samuel Jackson was also good. But, yeah, the third one was very good, yes. Um, But the first I... one really is a classic. But anyways, like, he's there giving man support where he's just like, I can't talk about what happened. I can't, you know, give you a hug, but I'll be here. And he's there and like, you, you just see their bond is really, really sweet. And and so, but it's like, everybody is trying to help Ibrahim have some, you know, and he's like, they they come to him. They come to him to yeah. talk about updates of the case, da 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 And Ron's um, and obsessed so he... i'm obsessed with kendrick he's the best he's honestly most of my friends are around kendrick's age he's supposed to be eight and like i really am like my favorite people in my life are like between like eight and 12 and just like <laughs> he's just like his delight in the world his questions like he's just such he's just so awesome and he's so well written because he's just so earnest and he's just like and, yeah yeah he's what's the best kid. dinosaur and he's just looking at you in your face like let's talk about what's the best dinosaur let's have this conversation we need to talk about this right now this is important yes and he really has that Alma Lee energy right where he's just like delighting in he's just like granted you get to live here and it's just so sweet he's and he's just so positive and but also realistic because you know his life is not perfect and he even says like I'm so lucky because I have these things and not everybody has those things I just freaking love Kendrick and he has boundaries because he's like granddad call me kendrick don't call me kenny right you know oh, yeah, like he's that. not a pushover and oh love kendrick and he solves a major, major clue right he does so then there's a lot of talking about where are the diamonds where are the diamonds? where are the diamonds where did he put them da, 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 da. and then we figure out or elizabeth figures out that there's a locker um, I can't remember. Oh, oh. Be because of the, when tree. she was on the walk with Douglas, he's like, wouldn't this tree be a perfect dead letter drop? Like back when we were spies. So then after he's dead, she's like, maybe he was saying that was a dead letter drop. So she goes to that tree and in the, like, you know, not 
the hole inside the tree, there's a letter from him and saying, so, go to this locker. Right. This is long, gushy letter saying, go to this locker. Yeah. And so they go to the locker. Uh, and I think by they, I mean Elizabeth and Joyce. It's a, it's a left luggage locker at a train station, which I don't think we have those here. And I really wish we did. I think we do. I think we do. Okay. But, I mean, we don't train stations very often, but. Um, I do. I like train stations. I'm just, I think I've seen them. But anyway. Um, <laughs> uh, so anyway, so they go to the left luggage locker. I'm just saying, and- if I had a trunk with a body to hide. In every Agatha Christie and other British novel, I can always take my trunk to the left luggage at the train station, which is how I can like use and those trunks hide the body. Put a big enough right. to put a body in. And like so. I don't know if I went down to Union Station with a body in a trunk because they'd know where to put it for me. That's a good <laughs> in DC. Point. Yeah, it's a good point. I don't know that there's a room that has a <laughs> place where I can put the trunk that has a body in it. It's inconvenient for murdering purposes. <laughs> <laughs> right. So um, and the, the, well, Joyce and Elizabeth go and they don't tell Sue um, and Lance. They go, but then they go and there's nothing in it. And but, There's a bag of crisps, which means chips to us. Yes. Um, an and, empty um, crisp packet. And there is a like locker attendant there and it's a, a teenage girl who has headphones. and so they're talking about her not noticing anything because her headphones are in but then Joyce figures out and it says the girl um, speaks up and is like I, yeah I have headphones in it's just because this guy keeps trying to chat me up but right. I hear everything yeah because then it turns yeah um, she actually did notice anything and she is a good witness she just um keeps those in so that people won't talk I to totally her specifically get, Matt, I, which i totally get I, I totally get um so there's um, uh, so the diamonds of, aren't there but there's a there's a there's a, a a chip bag crisp bag um which they take to donna at the police station who she looks at under infrared lights and since she before she got promoted to being investigating murder she was doing like looking at the uh invisible writing on bikes that got stolen she had she knows how to do an an infrared light and so they read a note inside the crisp bag that douglas left that was like i wouldn't make it that simple for you so basically like the the trail is more complicated right and she says basically you already know where the diamonds are you already know right so then they're like, well, now what? So meanwhile, back to Chris and Patrice's relationship, and he's doing this interior monologue where he's like, actually, because um, they, I think, staying at her house for a, his house for a while. Because she, she lives in or, London, but she was on, you know, their whatever they call spring break, half term. She was on right, half term. Because she's, she's a teacher. She's a teacher. Um, so when she was on spring break, she was like down there staying with him for a week or so. And then she went back home and he's like sad about it and he's like wait a minute i'm sad what does this mean um and then connie johnson this uh, was another hard part to read did you find that hard to read the threat was the ibrahim chapter and the connie johnson like threatening chapter that i was just like i'm not gonna reread that one and i I hate it it hurts me so connie johnson basically goes to chris and says leave me alone 
I'll hurt your Call off the investigation. I'll hurt you. I'll hurt Donna. But most of all, I'll hurt Patrice. Because, like, I see you have this pretty lady over here. And I will hunt her down and kill her. And, um, and so now, and he, yeah, so now he's like, now what do I do? And he spirals because he doesn't want to tell Donna because that's her mom. He doesn't want to tell Patrice. He doesn't want to freak them out. He doesn't want to tell Elizabeth because she'll end up telling them. And so he's just like freaking out because he's just like this crazy killer, murderer, drug dealer is threatening, you know, this new person in my life that has been so amazing. And like, I brought, it's all my fault because the only reason she's under threat is because of me. And so he's just spiraling. So we were talking about how in this book, it's awesome. The criminals also get to have interior monologues and their interior monologues are sometimes hilarious. Just regular people stuff. So Martin Lomax, who we had only heard about um, in the first part, this guy who had was holds on to horrible drug dealers and um, uh, you know mafia people and arms, arms dealers, basically yeah. anyone who's doing illegal large. He ho- he holds dealings. on to collateral as people are doing as a safe place and so he had these a bunch of diamonds and um from the new york mafia from the new york mafia so um we meet and he's walking around his house and his garden and apparently he has a gorgeous garden and he's has a very well protected house and his house is a safe and um, and, and he's kind of painted kind of maybe neurodivergent because he's basically like he, it says something like he doesn't understand having fun but he knows not to ruin it for other people and when he goes through the movie listing so that he can access the you know how he gets to his secure video conferencing app he's like he doesn't understand movies because it's just people acting and saying something and so they kind of paint him as you know neurodivergent in some kind of a way that's interesting but he (laughs) understands like how to function but he also finds like most typical human behavior is like kind of weird like what's wrong with them planning a pet what's that um oh yeah (laughs) yeah he's planning an open garden and he's meanwhile he's he's walking through the garden with some reporter who's you know advertising his open garden that's coming up because he's going to be in like best gardens of whatever and he's you know talking to her about the begonias or whatever but meanwhile he's being like oh there's a body buried over there there's cash buried over there where's that horse that was killed you know that racehorse that was killed where's the Where's that cocaine? Don't blame the reporter, this the reporter, he's just talking about. Yeah, this begonias. is just in his head, right? And, and he's talking about begonias, of um, uh, food they're going to have at the event, and he starts then having an interior monologue about does he have the right kind of food, or does he does he need to get more different kind of food? Are people going to be happy with this? And meanwhile, and- while he has, you know, thousands of pounds of diamonds and other like he had a banksy in his in his house that like he you know for as collateral he's got all these and then he's just like meanwhile he's selling brownies as a fundraiser 
and he's not even sure what he's going to do with, with the money, but he's just like, he's going to, you know, sell brownies at his open garden while he's meanwhile dealing with thousands and tens of thousands of pound dealings. It's just, it, it's so incongruous that it's hilarious. And yeah, so it, yeah, it's just as bizarre. And he doesn't really come into contact with the Tourism Day Club, but he's there. Well, they they go there and they they meet him. Oh, that's right. They that's bring right. Their, themselves in contact to him. But the funniest, for me, the funniest scene is one of the like best, like literally like LOL scenes in the book is. So the diamonds that were stolen from his house belong to the New York Mafia. And so the New York Mafia is understandably angry with him, thinking he maybe he stole them. And so he goes through, this is that setup of him going into his safe and then going through a movie menu to, you know, select the language of Chinese for some random movie, which gets him to the secret access to his safe into this, like, secure Zoom room, basically. And he logs on. And he's talking to um, Frank Andretti Jr., who is the mob boss's son, who's, you know, major guy in this in the New York mafia family he's dealing with. And when it goes on, this guy is like gesturing and banging his fist on the table. And Martin because Lawrence is like... Right, because, you know, because like our diamonds have been stolen from you. But Martin Lomax is like, Frank, you're on, you're on mute. You need to hit the green button. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then the way it's described by the narrator is like you know frank moves his face close to the camera his mouth is open he's looking for the button and you leave all especially like in you know year of our covid 2022 it's just so hilarious to picture this like intimidating mob boss guy being like oh god i'm on mute how do i unmute <laughs> like that gaping mouth thing that people do <laughs> Right. And it then by the time he gets on, them. Martin was almost like, what was that that you were saying while you were banging your fist? And he was like, eh, nothing. You know what I mean? Like, it kind of like, it just diffuses it. <laughs> he kind of lost the moment. I was because thinking- He lost the moment because he was like, you know, having his moment while he was on mute. And it was just like, just fucking comedic to, to, to read this so moment funny. of like this, this mob boss having his like threatening, like I'm mob bossing you, but he's on mute. <laughs> And then in this conversation, basically, he threatens Martin is like, if you don't get our diamonds back, we think you stole them. But even if you didn't, either way, just because, you know, this is how these things work. If you don't get the diamonds back, we're going to kill you. And Martin Lomax hangs up thinking like, oh, that and worrying about if there's going to be enough parking for the open garden. <laughs> like He's <laughs> just so worried about his open garden and the brownies and the restroom situation. That... Oh, it's so funny. And like, you know, you'd think that being threatened by the mafia that they were going to kill you because of diamonds would overshadow all that other stuff but he's still just thinking about like his he's really worried and he's he's so worried about his open garden that he's like if people leave negative comments could I send someone to their house to to hurt them Um, so I can't remember because Sue and Lance go to Martin Lomax and try to get him to like back off but when do Thursday Monday Club Go. They go during the open garden, and Elizabeth is like, "Oh, oh later, that's right. Yeah, later, later. Okay, okay, that's right." Because she invites him. Okay, so, um, so Bogdan drives them. And it's another hilarious scene. 
of oh. like him being like, oh, they're going to just, they, you know, they're talking to Zeroff and then they go to the thing and. And they go the way back. Yeah. Um, and it's cute. And I actually, I really like the interaction. I think something that's really special about this book and the, and the previous one, but it's, I think even more so in this one or just building on it in this one is the interaction between the older people and the people our age, right? The people who are, and I'm going to say our age, meaning twenties and forties, <laughs> right? You know, because there is a difference. Right. And so right. I think that like, you know, we can look at our mom and Julie and, you know, Vivian makes you rest in peace and our dad and all that. And say like the way that there's a magic to their olderness and a patience that's required and um it's just sweet because like i think what's special about the young people in the book is that they value the the older people so donna really appreciates her friendship with elizabeth and her friendship with joyce and she goes to seek out ibrahim and you know i think that um bogdan while he's annoyed by them is also like he chooses to spend most of his time around these people and i i know i just think there's there the the young people who are in the book see the value in people who are in their 70s and 80s and while you can roll your eyes at certain things also because you know there's the jokes about like nobody knows how to use these they say sapnat which i think is you know like you know, Google Maps for them yeah. or whatever. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, But like, you know, there's the jokes about their limitations with technology or all those things, but there's this real appreciation for that older energy, which I think, you know, I have come into, and I think especially after losing our dad, the things where I've, you know, talked about like, well, I should spend time with mom and Julie because I now see that we won't always have everybody. And so even if they're a little bit crazy, it's also... Well, and they have like I, I realize and... that there's a lot there and they won't always be here and so i think that energy runs through the book and so to me it really speaks to me being the age we are and having lost our dad because you know i think the oh covid don't sneeze <laughs> i have to learn to say bless you again because the culture in my house is like when someone sneezes just scream covid <laughs> Goodness. But I think I, I think it, it has this real sweetness running through it, where the book and the younger characters in the book appreciate people, and like you know, even right. the characters with dementia, even Penny and Stephen, are not made fun of, and they are appreciated. And you know, I think throughout this book, we see Stephen deteriorating, and we see his genius. You know, and even in the first book, he's the one that solves the murder. Right, right, yeah. And and so I think that there is this, not just patience with, and I think that's the part of uh, things that like, you know, ableism is like, oh, even though you are, we don't right. hate you, you can be here. But like, I think the not ableism and the not ageism is to be like, you're special because of what's different about you. And like... Right, because you've lived sixty more years than me, you know a lot of shit. Also, you're crazy because you've lived such more years than me. But you know what I mean. But it's not this. It, it's not. It doesn't patronize the characters at all. None of them are patronized, even the people with dementia. Right, which and, I really admire. 
And so the next scene I was going to talk about, so there's a video I say there um, at the train station where the left locker is. And so they ask Donna to get it. This is not at all. I mean, but, she, but they're happy because they're like, it's an MI5 case. Yes, put us in on this. But so Donna gets the video and she brings it to Ibrahim. And she could just not. But she, she could have sent it to the whole club. She could have. There's lots of but things. She, but she specifically asked for Ibrahim and her to see it together. And she brings it to him. And he had already, during one of the times everybody got, um, you know, Donna, he'd already kind of been like, hey, if you ever want to talk. And so she comes. Did, and, he, did he do that before? I didn't catch that. Yeah, I think because he just kind of threw out a like, hey, I mean, I'm he's, here. Yeah, he's great. And then he comes and he's like, so what's up? And she's like, I'm fine, nothing. Let's just watch the CCTV. And he's like, you could have just, you know, you came here alone. You dropped it off. What's up? And it's so sweet because, you know, he's been attacked and he was kicked in the head and in his trunk. So... He had rib fractures. And so she's like, how are you feeling? And he's like, well, I'm doing better. It only hurts when I breathe. And when he finally gets her to break down and like talk about her loneliness, he's like, how are you doing? After like, you know, getting past her layers of protection, she's like, I'm fine. I will, it only hurts when I breathe. And you're just like, ah, ah I understand that. And basically, you know, she's mid to late Lonely. 20s. She's moved away from London because she went through a breakup and you know, her friends aren't around anymore. She's in a new city. And now all of her friends happen to be 80. And her oh, best her friend is friend. her partner. Yeah, who her, her old friends either are partying or have settled down with families. And yeah, they're not partying. Her, yeah, they're settled down or they've moved away or whatever. And that happens to our friend groups, right? We're like, the, the group you used to go out with is gone for whatever reasons. And now she's in a new town and like she's made friends, but they happen to be old people and her partner and she does go dating her date, mom. But the date sounds like losers. So she has like meaningless sex and that's okay. And I actually really liked it. I find it very, again, not patronizing, empowering, but just like regular empowering in a good way. Which again, a male author, I'm impressed. Because from the first book to this book, basically what happens is she goes on disappointing dates and the way he writes it is clever because he sneaks it in that like, oh, she's like, oh, she's already in bed at 945. And then you're like, oh, she did sleep with him, even though everything about the date was disappointing. But because having sex is a need of hers. And so she's just like, okay, it was nonsense, but I'm having sex. At least I had sex, right. you know? And so... Right. She, I mean, she's not, yeah, when I say meaningless sex, it's not like, it's oh, it's not meaningless. No, it's, it's meaningless, not, but, but it's interesting because I feel like a lot of books would write it like she didn't, basically she, she goes out and she settles all the time and she doesn't see the guy again, but she's just like, eh, I went out, I, you know, met a guy, I had sex and he was, you know, disappointing and Joel, you know, like, I just felt like it was written very realistically in terms of like settling for, you know, right. That's what you Her can needs. get right now. Right. But she's not making friends and she's not dating any she's none of these dates have led to anyone who like was interesting person. She's just like, okay, he's got decent arms. 
right. <laughs> for them. <laughs> but a lot of narcissists and yeah. And uh, it does come up about microaggressions because uh, she's a black woman in this small town. And so she's definitely also dealing with microaggressions. Right. People being like, where are you really from kind of stuff. And, um, and I, the level of having Ibrahim, who of course is a retired therapist and also Egyptian. So the two of them you know, I'm just I mean, it was interesting. That. I would, I would be interesting to know what readers of color thought, but I, my, you know, again, from my perspective, maybe I could be missing something, but I felt like the way he integrated the microaggressions into her experience felt like enough, but not too much. Yeah, he wasn't trying to like wear her shoes and like write the whole book from her perspective or tokenize her. It, it felt like he was just like, yeah, you're in a small town. You're the only black girl here. And it, it, it seemed like he did a good job of like, and again, I didn't feel like she was tokenized or exploited right. or all those things. But I, I would wonder if, uh, if readers of color felt the same way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was thinking about how um, hard it is for friends. I know, of color to get a therapist of color, which can make such a difference when you're talking about, and also there's the microaggression, you know, like on top of being lonely and on top of all this, 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 this and the fact that Donna could talk to Which they don't even talk about out loud, but I think right. that again, knowing that she's having this conversation with an Egyptian man means that like a lot of those unsaid things could be layered into their conversation, even unsaid. They don't even talk about that. They just talk about her experience of being like going through life transitions and being lonely. But because he's a person of color having this conversation with her, I, it, it felt important, even right. though it's not named. Right, right. But he was so great and talks about how life has valleys and mountains. Man, I cried. Seriously? I cried. Shut up. Don't judge me. I'm not judging. I mean, it was beautiful because it's such a like where he look. I'm at the end of my life, and she's like, "No, you're not." And he, of course, is also depressed because you know he had been right. And that was because... interesting. It was so fascinating, right? Because he's also a therapist who's depressed, right? <laughs> and so, and they're friends, and so it was sweet because I, I don't, you know, we all have our own relationship with our therapist, but like, I don't know anything about my therapist's life because. I don't, it's inappropriate. So I never asked her anything about her life, but like, it was so sweet because it was mostly the, you know, him being there for her. But then she's like, what about you? You know, you've been attacked, all these things. And then she, she flips the tables in a way that like, I really liked that she could be there for him and turn the mirror back on him yeah, at the end of that in a way that like I could wish for with my therapist, but would be totally inappropriate and I wouldn't actually want, but I liked right, it right. that she could, yeah. that she could say like, no, I'll also be here for you. And, you know, cause he basically says, look, life, it's a series of mountains and valleys and that's just the way it is. And I'm in my seventies and I, there are mountains and valleys and there are mountains and valleys. And, and he says to her like valley. you, yeah, you're in a valley. You came off the mountain of being in your 20s and having friends and partying and drugs and all the things. And now you're in a valley and you're not going to go backwards. You're not going to go back to where you were. But what's the next mountain for you? You get to decide. 
And I'm like, oh, thank you, EP. I'm going to pick some things out. I appreciate that. Like, I was just like, oh. Because it, and it was such a, it was both. And he just said, he just said, put on your boots and climb the next mountain. Next mountain. And she said, well, what if I don't want to? And he said, you can keep coming here and sit in my chair and talk about it. Like, that's also an option. But I'm going to keep telling you to put on your boots and climb the next mountain. And I was just like, well, there it is. There's nothing else was, I need to know. There, I just need to put on my boots and climb the next mountain. And it, and it was so amazing because... So simple it, and so complicated. And, and so spoken beautiful. both as a therapist, but also as somebody in his Right, like, and that's the thing. And I think that, I, I again, everyone has to... Excuse me. Everyone has their own experience with therapy, but I think when you have a therapist who feels like they know life right then yeah you know you know you're like huh you're probably right about that like I'm only seeing things from this window but you're telling me that like there will be all these next mountains and valleys and this is just the next mountain and it was such a good analogy and it really had that wisdom that I think a good therapist can often speak from right and yeah so it felt like not just yeah, but it felt like wisdom, and it was so good. It was so good, and like this is someone who's like, again, this is like a, I don't know, a white guy our age. The guy who wrote it? Yeah, I have yeah. no idea. Um, I never actually thought about who he was. But like to to just come in with that like really overarching life perspective in a way that like for those of us from the self-help generation we don't call it self-help we call it whatever we call it but like we are in a generation that we're like we're doing the things and we're doing the work and we are we're doing the things we're doing the work generational curses all the things right we're doing those things but like for him to say something novel that i haven't seen on the instagram meme post you know i'm just like yeah i'm just gonna put on your boots and climb the next mountain and if you don't want to you also don't have to but that's always the next choice. And I was just like, oh, man, you said something. He said something. And again, I would be interested to know how readers of colors felt with him speaking from the perspective of this Egyptian psychiatrist and this, you know, young black woman cop, if that felt contrived or whatever. But, you know, reading it with my white ass, I liked it. Yeah, I did too. I did too. Yeah, because as you said, the the stuff about microaggression wasn't the main point of their conversation. Not at all. She didn't bring it up at all. It was dropped in earlier to just say, yeah, being in a small town is... Right. You notice it. So, um, you're right. He is a white guy. um, And he is two years older than me. Thank you very much. Um, and right, he's so also... he's our age, right? So I'm just like this guy. He said something. He said something unique. Yeah, and he's um, and and we're people who consume a lot of, you know, like being on Instagram. You you consume all these things. We're just like people saying things that sound important all the time. And so the fact that I could read this in these characters and be like, I actually haven't heard that before. Right, right. And it sounded like something that a person who's a have with wisdom would say right you know like looking back and going hey let me tell you and i mean because it, it resonated with me um of going oh mountains and valleys i've definitely gone through those 
Right, so. and that, it, it's so funny because it sounds really trite, like mountains and valleys. Like, yeah, I mean, like, ain't no mountain high enough. It sounds like something we've heard before. But I was like, yeah, that's literally how it is. Like, sometimes you're high and sometimes you're low. And if you're not ready to go up, you can just stay at the bottom. But right. when you're ready, you can go up. And what? Like, it sounds so trite, but I found it very meaningful. And it was such a sweet moment because, you know, Donna, I think, is closest to Elizabeth because they're very similar. Mm-hmm. And maybe more close to Joyce because Joyce is like an affectionate person, bakes for you and all the things. But like for her to go to Ibrahim, who's the, you know, man who plots the maps and stuff. And so for her to open up to him and, it, it it was a, it was a reach for her to open up to him, and it was really meaningful for her and me. <laughs> <laughs> okay, enough so, about that. Enough so about that, in therapy. So then, um, uh, and then and then the funniest thing is they actually carried it through from the first book because there's a moment where she does something sweet in the first book, and she's like, "If you tell anybody about this, I will taser you." And then that happens here, or something happens in the first book with that's mentioned. And this happens too, where she's just like, she says to Ibrahim, this 80-year-old man who's been attacked, who's been hate-crimed, she's like, thank you so much. And if you tell anyone about this, I will taser you. (laughs) And it's so cute, because it's like, obviously she's not going to taser this old man. And it's like her way of saying, like, between us right like yeah. it's her way of being vulnerable and it's just it's so sweet and it, it reminded it flashback to the first book oh totally so then we have the video that she dropped off so of course ibrahim starts with kendrick um which i thought was hilarious because he's eight and they're trying kendrick to is eight and they're like let's watch cctv to catch a murderer that sounds and, like a good thing for you to do. He's like, right. let's play Minecraft. Let's solve right. murder. Sure. And so they watch it, and he, and Kendrick realizes and points out that the per- there's a person who goes to the locker, and they have a helmet on, like a bike helmet. A- yeah, they're wearing like a motorcycle outfit and helmet, so they can't tell the gender. They can't tell who it is. But then Kendrick notices that whoever it is is wearing one of Joyce's stupid bracelets. <laughs> That's why her friendship bracelets come into play. Because, and everybody's watching it. At this point, the whole Thursday Murder Club is over. This is so cute because Kendrick and Ibrahim watch these for hours, bonding. And like again, he's like, he calls them Uncle Ibrahim and they're just melting because it's so cute. But, um, yeah, so then everybody from Thursday Murder Club, including... Chris and Donna and Elizabeth are there. So these people who are cops and spies and all the things and like no one sees it, but, but Kendrick is like, do you guys see the clue? And the person whose gender, we don't know whose face we don't know is wearing one of Joyce's friendship bracelets. And everyone looks at their wrists and their hideous friendship bracelets. And so there's a limited list of people. It could be, Right. Because the person is wearing a friendship bracelet and only Kendrick saw it. It's so cute. And she hasn't given one to Martin Lomax yet or Franco, the diamond dealer yet, but she has been giving him out the whole book. Right. So then that, that we get a list of suspects just from that. 
So then um, we have a couple of more scenes at the end of part two. Um, Sue and Elizabeth have coffee together and they realize how alike they are and bonding and talking about Alice and what do we do. Right. And and so basically, just this. to recap, Sue is 60s and Elizabeth 80s. So they're basically 20 years apart. And Douglas was 10 years younger than Elizabeth, but the, Sue and Elizabeth are very similar, and everyone keeps saying that. And basically, Sue is still working, and Elizabeth is retired, but they're very similar in their take on things, their role. There's a lot of commonality. We're bonding about working with Douglas and trying to find the diamonds, and where do you think you put them? Da 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 da. And so, meanwhile, so Ryan Baird, um, the reason why they had Bogdan buy the cocaine was to set him up for having cocaine. They planted cocaine on him so that there was actually... And so brilliant. So Bogdan, our hero who might, may or may not have killed someone in the first book, we'll let you read that, um, who's our Polish big tattooed man, seems to be able to do anything. He, Elizabeth is like, I need you to buy 10,000 pounds of cocaine. He's like, obviously, I got this yesterday. I already did it. <laughs> so he goes, <laughs> he gets the the drugs from Connie Johnson, who's trying to get a date with him, and she he's has zero interest in her. In fact, he's like, you know, reading that, that scene from both perspectives she's so into him and he's so like i guess she's got a date later she seemed excited for something it can't be for me like he he did it's not even on his his his, um, wavelength anyways he goes from there and gives ron our hero who is the you know labor party organizer we haven't actually talked about very much from the early times um gives him the cocaine and then cocaine and cocaine then ron goes and plants the cocaine in he pretends to be a plumber in and he plants it in the toilet of our suspect ryan baird and it's so funny because when bogdan meets ron by the pier in a real sketchy way and like gives him this big batch of cocaine ron's like i bet you're wondering why i'm dressed like a plumber and bogdan's like not with you lot i don't i never i, I he actually he said i'd be more surprised if you weren't dressed like a plumber because <laughs> he just right. knows that like these again these old people are like always up to some shenanigans and so he's just like i mean yeah obviously you're dressed like a plumber and something's happening and bogdan gets it so he understands in some way that he's involved with setting up the guy who attacked ibrahim from right, which everybody's like, down with um you know like, and it was oh. interesting because i i was thinking about that as it relates to privilege and access and use of the police as power right and it's really cool in this story because we care about ibrahim and he's an egyptian guy and we can set up the guy that hurt him and use the powers to our benefit and that's not how it usually goes like it's not an egyptian guy it's a white guy and it's a brown guy getting set up and it's not fair and then ryan after he was arrested for that ran away to Scotland. Right. And 
And so, like, and, okay, one of my favorite quotes in the book, before you get to that, is when Ron goes to Brian Baird's house to plant the cocaine in his toilet. Meanwhile, Brian Baird is playing like Call of Duty on full blast and like pissing off his neighbors. But, but Ron goes there and knocks. And then the narrator, the uh, omniscient narrator, says, Say what you want about Ron, but you can't say he doesn't look like a plumber. <laughs> <laughs> I died. I died with that quote. I just died so much because it was like, yeah, I mean, you know, he might not have been able to fake a lot of roles, but that guy looks like a plumber. So he, he was like, hey, I'm here to fix the toilet, the, you know, the, you know, whatever sent me. So he goes in and he plants all this cocaine and Ibrahim's bank card in Ryan Bird's toilet. And then, as you said, as he's supposed to face justice for the setup, as he's ranting about being set up by a plumber, then Ryan Baird does a runner, as they say, in this. And I, I believe in a, I guess the Christie books as well. I think that one, that, that term has prevailed. Um, yeah. He does a runner to Scotland? To Scotland, yeah. Um, and... And so he runs away. But the, the 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 narrator saying, "Say what you want about Ron, but you can't say he doesn't look like a plumber." I died. <laughs> and then Ron, Chris, Chris has a scene with just the men. Oh, it's I think. so good. Yeah. So Chris is like Connie Johnson just threatened Patrice. I can't tell Donna because that's her mom. I can't tell Patrice because I'm the one who got into this stuff. I can't tell Elizabeth Elizabeth, because she'll tell me to tell everybody the truth. So Chris, this upstanding detective, you know, in the police, is like, what am I going to do? So he calls Ron, who's this, like, working class, you know, fighter for whatever. And Bogdan? Is Bogdan And Bogdan... Yeah, and Bogdan, because he knows that Bogdan has been caught on tape going into Connie Johnson's office. And he also, he's like both very capable and very shady. And so he's like, he only tells the truth in this situation to Ron and Bogdan. And he's like, and he... And he tells them what happened. He's like, she threatened Patrice and, then, and, and I'm freaked out. And then he calls Patrice the woman I love. And Ron is excited about that. <laughs> right. Because he's right. like, ooh, it's love, huh? Because that's like a step up for them. He's like, right. I don't know what to do. I need help. And that's going right. to be Right. And, and again, this again shows you access and how shadiness and policeness can be intertwined. And again, I thought it was interesting because in this case, we're on the side of the cop. We happen to have bonded with Chris for a whole book. So when he goes to a shady Polish murderer for help. We're like, yeah, do that. But imagine if Chris was not right. a great cop. So I, I, I thought it was interesting. And it, they didn't tell me to think about it in a nuanced way at all. But as a person with a brain, I did that. And I liked it because I thought that like, yeah, like in this case, the fact that he's got access to a Ron and a Bogdan helped the side of right from the way that we're seeing in this book but like the same conversation probably happens when everything's fucked up 
and you know the wrong you know a guy like Bogdan who's not a good guy underneath it all and will set up the wrong guy for the wrong reason and you know what I'm saying so I, I it didn't hit us over the head with it but I did notice it right like his right. access even and, and cops being cops knowing criminals and knowing how to access them for the right reasons again i in this book you were like yeah do that but it reminded you that there's a thin line between crime fighters and criminals and access to putting people in jail and also you know criminal behavior right so basically in that conversation bogdan and ron are like are we going to handle this shit? They don't make a plan. They're just like, oh, we're we just, got we're this. We're there. We got this. We got this. And it's and... awesome because, like, normally, like, in these situations, Elizabeth is the boss and Ibrahim is the planner. But, like, Ron is the working class, like, motherfucking dude. And, yeah, both and Bogdan Ron... is just yeah, Polish AF and right. <laughs> ready to just, he's <laughs> like, whatever that means. Whatever Nana would say that means. <laughs> but he's just like, we got this. You know, in his Polish accent. And I could, I just love that. And you're just like, and it, it, it made me feel good for Chris that he didn't feel alone in Right. I mean, I thought that Chris should tell Elizabeth and Donna. But, because I, I, maybe I was I thinking, mean, obviously, right. In like, yeah, he but, should tell them, but 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 he has the fear of a man who wants to handle things in men ways and yeah right. he should have told them obviously so then they have a meeting with all of the characters because they figured out the person who went to the locker wearing the french list bracelet was I'm going to say her name wrong Siobhan Siobhan no B Siobhan Siobhan, Siobhan. 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 Okay. And Siobhan, Poppy's mom, uh, that Joyce had met and given a friendship bracelet to after the... Yeah, Joyce had reached out to her after Right, Poppy and the saw. reason we figured that out is because Joyce was like, wait a minute, that girl took her job seriously. She's not going to let someone back there in a helmet... And, like, not see their face. So she realizes there must be CCTV of the waiting room. So she gets that and, and, and gets that so that we can see the CCTV. And so, and this of is not just one. this amorphous, you right. know, agender person wearing a friendship braces. But we got to see them in the waiting room when they had to take up the helmet for the girl who runs the lobby. And she takes off the helmet and it's Siobhan. So then they're having this big meeting and like maybe Poppy told her mom and Poppy faked her death and Poppy listened with a time when she had her headphones in about the dead letter drop and so Poppy told her mom and then so maybe this was all a Poppy plot and all the stuff that she had told Joyce and Elizabeth about not necessarily wanting to be an MI5 agent, but maybe run to write poetry. Maybe that was all just a pose. Right. And there was this whole, because again, in the books, in both books, because Joyce writes from the first person, we are most bonded with Joyce. 
and Joyce really bonded with Poppy and, and she felt like she knew Poppy. And she was like, yeah, this chick is not meant for this life. She wants to do poetry. And so when the theory became Poppy is the person who killed Douglas and killed someone who looks like her to put a fake corpse in her image and stole all the diamonds and used her mom to do that. Joyce is just like, no, I don't believe that. And so the question for the reader is, is Joyce naive or is it not true? Right. And we really have that question more than we do with any other character because, again, Joyce writes from the first person. So we, we spend more time on that. So then, yeah, so then we kind of, that's the end of part two. Like, maybe it was all Poppy the whole time. And we, you know. Right, and so that's the theory that, like, the the overall group settles on. It's like, Poppy is the villain. Right. So then Elizabeth and Joyce go to Belgium to meet a diamond dealer to find out if anybody has sold these diamonds. Because they're like, maybe they're... I had the most delightful Agatha Christie flashbacks. Did you? When they went to go talk to him? Yeah, because he's, they're in Belgium and and it's written mostly first person from Joyce's perspective. So she's just like, he spoke to us in Belgian instead of like French. <laughs> well, but this and then is... she's like talking about how handsome he is and how he offered them a glass of milk and how she's just like having this whole scenario about like marrying him and he's bringing her milk every night and all the things and, and then at the end he gives her a kiss on the cheek and she's like super excited but then he also gives a cheek, kiss on the cheek to Elizabeth so maybe it didn't right. mean anything yeah and I, I don't, don't know and, and maybe it wasn't but like the way she kept dropping him being Belgian and all the things I was just like oh this is such a pro moment like I just felt like but like you know he's he's clearly a not a Praro, but a straightish, straight appearing man. But it was just cute because, like, you know, obviously, you know, Diamonds, Belgium, that makes sense. But also, it's an Agatha Christie reference. And I, I, I felt like it was drawn out in a really sweet way that made me think of, like, the fact of, like, a British character going to Belgium and having this uh, little see, romantic experience, I was just like, I, I, I felt like as an Agatha Christie person now, I was just like, it's, ah, it's, it's happening. because I was thinking more just like where the diamond markets are, are in Belgium. <laughs> I hadn't really thought about it being like an Agatha Christie reference, but. In my experience, like I have never heard the word or word derivatives of Belgium mentioned so many times outside of Praro. Fair. Okay. And like her fantasy, she's just like, she she got all the way to fantasizing about when she marries him and he's coming home from work and she's asking him how many diamonds he sold and all the things and drinking glass of milk with him. And <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I just feel like, I, I don't know. I just, I just feel like it was like, I was like, oh. But then- maybe you didn't feel the same way. You were just like, that's where diamonds are. Yeah, that's kind of where I was. I'm sorry I didn't. It was cute because of her like little fantasy, but I totally didn't get Praro out of it. And I didn't get Praro out of him because he's not Praroian because he was more straight. Praroian? 
Yeah. No, okay. I can't. We can't. We can't. I Prarowian is definitely. We're going there. Okay. Okay. I'll go with R- it. Right. That's no. I, I I like it. I like it. But so he wasn't Prarowian, but I don't know. And maybe it was a coincidence, but it felt super like, you know, doffing his hat and then doffing it again and then like twirling the hat. <laughs> like the scene about the Belgium stuff where they kept saying Belgium. I was just like, oh, now you're tossing the hat from arm to arm. <laughs> now you're just. No? Okay. All right. <laughs> so I'm me. trying to remember when they went to visit Martin Lomax because we didn't write that down. So that was after Poppy, right after Poppy and Douglas were killed. Oh, so it was way, okay. So I didn't write it down. I mean, you did Um, a great synopsis from all of these 90,000 chapters that he left us. So, I mean, not a lot important happened in that visit. Right. It just, yeah. Um, But Martin Lomax got a um, he got a friendship bracelet. So <laughs> I actually get a friendship bracelet. <laughs> Which again, it's so funny because Joyce, it the one of my obsessions in life is self awareness, and Joyce has a delightful combination of self awareness and lack thereof. Right. So she'll say in her first person writing. I offered him a friendship bracelet and he looked abhorred. He looked like I'd offered him a dead fish. (laughs) But then she keeps doing it and she'll say like, oh, Elizabeth clearly hates this, but she's wearing hers now, which makes me happy. And I I think it's delightful because she realizes that everyone hates these and yet she expects everyone in her life to wear them as a test of love and I just find it so delightful because she's both self-aware that like people are like oh god thank you here's a donation like people are are, are horrified by this and yet and she Martin keeps Lomax doing it and she doesn't like a pound she doesn't doubt herself and say like oh maybe I should stop making these or do better at them she's just like I'm just gonna keep giving these hideous friendship bracelets to everyone <laughs> but she seems to understand that they're hideous and she's like oh yeah the one I made for Elizabeth was the worst one because it was one of the first ones I did and I'm so glad that she's wearing it now she's not like oh girl you don't have to wear that she's like I'm so yeah. glad she's wearing it now you know and I'm just like I I okay two of my favorite concepts in life currently are self-awareness and paradoxes Right, things that are like complicated to think about, like this is true and that is true, and they are and they are opposites. And so right. the fact that Joyce is just like, yeah, these are the worst. You have to wear it. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that so much, and I can't stop loving it. And I feel again. I think I don't know exactly why, because she's not really our Aunt Vivian, but there's so much of just her energy that runs through Joyce. Like there's so nothing much. that she says yeah. or nothing right. that she particularly does, but there's just something about her energy that reminds it's us so me, much of Vivian. You too, right? Of our Aunt yeah, Vivian. Okay. That's just like, 
if Aunt Vivian had like you know a hundred pounds more of self esteem, right, right, she'd be Joyce. Yeah, and you yeah. love it because you know Vivian could be snarky. Right. She could be judgy in a very delightful way to be like, oh my God, did you see her shoes? But you had to get her there. Right, right. Oh yeah, no, she definitely had that energy. Where were we? Okay. Where did so, Bobby get a sandwich? <laughs> I'm lost. So the mafia is coming. The mafia. So the, the mafia. mafia is, <laughs> the mafia is coming. And All right, the New York Mafia is coming because Martin Lomax's diamonds, the diamonds were sto- stolen from his house, and if he can't find them, they're going to kill him. And then um, Elizabeth figures out where the diamonds actually are, that they were in those same set of lockers, just the numbers transposed because she was supposed to look at a mirror and flip the numbers. and that's what Right, Douglas so there was, was all these clues. Her. Because he had said to her, East Berlin, when the truth was West Berlin about their memory, he'd given her a locket, but there was a mirror, and there was like one other thing where he'd flip things. So basically, he'd been telling her, look at the opposite of what I'm telling you, look at the, the mirror image of what I'm telling you. So the locker that they had looked in, the, the locker that he had sent her to, 531, was not the right locker, it was actually the right locker, was 135. And so she's looking in the mirror right. and realizes that. So they find the, the diamonds and then they make this big plan with everybody. Chris, oh, Donna, Sue, Lance. They make it with everybody. And Chris and Donna are like, this is not our case. But they're like, but Connie Johnson is going to be part of it. And um, so Chris is like, right. And again, Chris and Donna are local cops in a small town. So any way you can help them be involved in some spy murder diamond stuff, they're like, yeah, we're all in. And Chris is because Ron is the one who suggests setting up Connie Johnson at the same time. Right. Because Chris had gone to Ron and Bogdan for help. And so Ron is like, cool. Let's set up Connie Johnson to be a part of this madness. So they set it up. And so Elizabeth doesn't know why Connie Johnson's going to be there, but she's like, fine. So it's going to be the mafia dude, Martin Lomax, Connie Johnson, and Ryan Baird. Because Joyce, using Instagram. This is why it comes full circle. Which again, I can't remember the exact book or the exact reference, but I feel like there was times in Agatha Christie where like, there's a little detail it comes back to be the key. And I was like, Joyce being on Instagram. And here she is. She found his cousin in Scotland. And so she gets... I can't remember how she got him back to town. Well, she, she... she found out where he was. And then when when they rope Connie Johnson and they tell her to reach out to him to be her driver. Right. And how they wrote Connie Johnson in is Bogdan and Ron go and talk to her. And Ron is like, I'm a big cocaine dealer. And she's spending the whole time thinking about how she looks. Big Vincent. It's so hilarious. (laughs) She's spending the whole time thinking about how she looks to Bogdan and being suspicious. Like, I've seen you before. And then she realizes the time she saw him before was when Bogdan bought the cocaine from her way back in part one. 
she he delivered it to Ron, but at the time he was dressed like a plumber because he was about to. Um, and so <laughs> she, she's like, "Oh, that's why I know you because I followed Bogdan to see where he took the cocaine, and he gave it to you. No problem." Yeah. So he's like, "Okay." I need you to take these diamonds to this pier. And they do this thing in this office at the top of a roller skating rink or something. something yeah, like pier. an arcade or something. Yeah, at the end of the pier. And so, you know, like, anyway. And so because, so they figure out how to get Ryan there. They figure out how to get Connie Johnson there. Figure out how to get the mafia guy there. And they figure out how to get Martin Lomax there. And they're like, it's all coming together. They uh, and it, Elizabeth and Joyce pick up the mafia dude from the airport. That was hilarious <laughs> because he's like, "Go away! I have a mean to get you." And she's like, "Oh yeah, you want your diamonds?" And he's like, "What the hell, seventy-five-year-old lady? How do you know?" And she's like, "Oh, because I'm gonna take you there." And um, you know, so like he totally underestimates, and they're like, "Nope, this is." So, like, literally, they, they set up... Yeah, and that's another... When we get to themes, I would say that's a major theme is, like, that being underestimated. Yes, everybody. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so everybody... they pick him up from the airport and take him to the end of the pier. So we've got the mafia, New York mafia guy. We've got Connie Johnson, who thinks she's there to, like, deliver these diamonds and then make a new drug deal. We've got... Martin, Martin Lomax, Lomax and, and the mafia guy have been told their diamonds are going to be there. And then Bogdan goes because Bogdan can do everything. And then Lance is just there like acting like security, but he's really an MI5 agent. And so, and Connie's nervous, but she's happy that Bogdan is there. <laughs> right. So she's, she's, just, she's mostly focused on her crush on Bogdan. <laughs> and so they go to the pier and everybody's like, who the hell are you? Who the hell are you? Because no one has set this up. Everyone who's in the room, because the person who set it up mostly is Elizabeth. Right. And so everyone's like confused. And so um, Elizabeth, no, no. Uh, Connie is like, okay, well, I have your diamonds. And so they're great. Show the diamonds. And remember, the setup is that there's 20,000 pounds of diamonds, like a bag of diamonds of like multiple like you know a handful of diamonds we're picturing and so when connie pours it out it's two diamonds and the mafia dude and martin lomax are freaking out like they're like where the fuck are the rest of them So um, they're upset, and so then Martin. And she's Lomax, like, "No, this is the guy, Vic Vincent. He gave me these diamonds. He told me these were your diamonds. I'm supposed to deliver them." And they're like, and "No, like, no, there's handfuls of diamonds, and you gave us two. So they're freaking out. Everybody breaks out a gun, and there's this great part of it. It's so funny because everybody points a gun at everybody else, and one interior monologue is like, "Well, I suppose I should point my." gun at connie just so that there's a nice like symmetry. i think that was lance like right just for symmetry lance is like i guess i should point my gun at her and then it's wild and then and there's this crazy ethical moment because you realize that because elizabeth has set up the situation she's basically 
you know, chosen violence. So in the end of the day, Martin Lomax and the mafia guy get shot by each other, basically, or by Connie or whoever. But they are both dead. And Connie Connie pulls one of the triggers. And then Connie runs away. And this Uh, is all on video, by the way, because MI5 is involved. So Connie runs away. And so basically the, the, the two expendable in terms of like, we're don't think they're good people. So Martin Lumax and the, and the mob guy get shot. So then Bogdan Lance and Connie are in the room and Bogdan's like, Hey, nobody's got beef with anybody in here. This is just security. Just like, let it go. So Connie runs away having shot a New York mafia boss. And, and she still got some cocaine on her because she thought right. she was right. Right, she thought she was about to do a big drug deal. So she runs back to her car, which is being driven by Ryan. <laughs> and then, well, sorry, Sushi just jumped and made the table, and then, um, and then gets arrested. Right it's so brilliant because again, Connie's now come to Chris's house to threaten the woman that he loves. So we're really ready to be done with her so she gets the car she jumps in and donna is there like at the steering wheel like oh hey yeah get in girl we're about to drive you to the station because you're going to jail forever because you just killed a mafia boss on tape and also you have a big bag of cocaine with you and yeah also forever and And then ryan is under arrest because you know all the things and he's just weeping now and ron right. comes by and gives him a speech about remember ibrahim you fuck with my best friend you fuck with ibrahim that's why you go to jail forever and he gets his revenge moment yeah and so then, but then you realize that like basically because elizabeth set up this situation for the like two diamonds when it was supposed to be like a handful that was gonna happen like bodies were going right. to drop. And so right. there's a moment where us as readers and Joyce as a little bit from her first person narrator are like, huh, what are my ethics on this? How do I feel about setting up terrible people to be killed? Yeah. And so I, I think- like that too. I like the ethical experiment of experiencing that and then having Joyce have the conversation to be like, interesting choice elizabeth how do i feel like it happened and you were like like as a reader you were just like interesting and then but you realized like this was the only way this was gonna go right right you get everybody you get all those people in the back and like bogdan and lance could have died luckily they didn't right but you know Bad people died, but you still set up bad people to die, so how do we feel about that? And so I, I, I like the the fact that the book made me ask myself how I felt about that. But not so hard that you felt bad about yourself. No, it was just like, still really how do I feel scary. about that? And I was like, yeah. You know, it was just like, well, you know, they were bad guys, so I guess it's okay. But but it, it didn't make it easy. I had to stop and think about it. I had I had to ask myself how I felt about it. So then, um, yeah, uh, one of the things I kept saying with 
this whole setup at the pier is that they were setting this up because Poppy was going to appear because she had, because they were still talking about like Poppy right. had done. She was looking for the diamond, so she was going to come out of the woodwork when because you this know all obviously happened. Elizabeth finding the diamonds, whoever killed Douglas, you know, was still looking for the diamonds, and every you know Martin Lovac said that it wasn't him. Um, so who killed Douglas? And so was it Poppy? And so that whole setup at the pier, they kept on saying, did Poppy appear? Did Toppy appear? And then everybody leaves after the everyone gets shot and Connie Gaunton is getting arrested. And Elizabeth was like, oh, I figured it out. Oh, Elizabeth knew before that. Or, yeah, we, she tells us. But, but like, she, she, yeah, she lays it on the reader. So at that point, she reveals to us that she figured out at some point that Sue was the person who killed both Douglas and Poppy. Poppy was not a fake death. Both Douglas and Poppy are really dead. And Sue was... was Set up the safe house. Set up the safe house and killed them both. And turns out that Sue was in relationship with Douglas... Which and, makes sense because Sue and Elizabeth are very similar. Right. She's she's an Elizabeth type and she's 10 years younger than Douglas instead of 10 years older than him. So then they're in the car and... But the crazy it, thing is that you understand why she did it. And I'm not saying it's okay. But in the letter that Poppy found, because again, Poppy was fake listening to her headphones when she really heard Douglas confessed to Elizabeth that he sold the stuff and he said the dead letter drop thing. So Poppy goes back to the tree, finds the letter, tells her supervisor. She doesn't tell her mom. She tells her supervisor because Poppy is a pro. In that letter, Douglas is like, I'm unattached. If you want to be with me as a rich man with these diamonds, come find me, Elizabeth. No one matters to me I have a couple of bits on the side, but nobody important. And so right. for Elizabeth to read that, knowing that she, in her mind, was in relationship with Douglas, they had stolen these diamonds together, or Douglas had stolen Sue. them and shared it with her. Hey, sorry. For, for Sue, Sue to, to do that. that. Sorry. I'm, I'm confusing my ladies. So Sue reads that. Sue reads like, oh, there's no one important in your life, just a couple of bits on the side. I'm a fucking bit on the side? Like, she thought she was with him. She thought that either they stole the diamonds stole together the diamonds or together he, told, he stole the diamonds and yeah. shared it with her. But she thought they were in it to escape, to, you know, have their, you know, big payday together, together and run off into yeah. the sunlight together. And meanwhile, he says to his ex-wife, there's nobody important to me. I hope you, I hope you want to come back and be with me. There's no one important, and, and like honestly, that quote, a couple of bits on the side, like hurt my heart for Sue, and I was like, yeah, I'll kill his ass too. <laughs> What's your not really, out? not really, but can you imagine? Like you think you're in something with someone, and then well, they tell of... their ex that there's nobody important, just a couple of bits on the side, and like not only am I a bit on the side, but there's another one. Right. Right. Like, it just, that was, and I, I, I really identify with Sue in that moment to just be like, oh, yeah, she had to kill him. <laughs> she had to kill him and take the diamonds. 
Yeah, I guess because I was also thinking about like if you were already MI5 agents who are thinking, you know, I'm willing to kill for my country, and then your MI5 agents who are like, oh, I'm also going to steal on the side and put everyone's life in danger. The likelihood of you, because this kind of reminds me of almost every spy novel you've ever read, that the people who are the bad guys are also bad to each other. Right. You know, like... But, like, like, again, as it comes to love, you're like, yeah, fuck the world. Fuck... We kill people, we steal stuff, but it's me and you, babe, right? And so for her to read a letter to his ex... Right. And calls and he, her, there's no one important, maybe a couple of bits on the side, meaning I don't count, and there's more than one of me. Right. Nah, man, I'm killing you. What's happening? You know, I'm, <laughs> I'm killing you and taking those islands. Like, I, not literally, I'm not an actual psychopath, but I'm just saying that, like, when, you know, rereading it, and I was like, ooh, that had to be hard for her to read. And, like, no wonder she was like, yeah, blow his head off. And, like, her killing Poppy is inexcusable but her killing douglas is you know Uh, see i never i i didn't i was thinking imagine if you were you know in deep with someone well how deep were they because it sounds like they were willing to i don't know well that's the thing obviously double cross to him it wasn't much right but maybe to her it was a lot. Like we don't even know how long they were partnered, right? But enough oh. that she thought she was going to escape, and you know, I just, I just, who? If someone called me a bit on the side and like a couple of, that would be rough for me. Someone who I thought I was partnered with. The reason I didn't think that Elizabeth had figured it out earlier is because of what happens next is that she's in the car with Sue and has figured it out. And Sue's like, yep. And I know that you have the diamonds and it's they're in at Joyce's place or at your place. And I've already sent somebody to go get in. And, um, and that puts Steven in danger. Oh, you're right. And I, That's all right. If she had really Elizabeth, known, she wouldn't have put Steven in danger. Right, because Elizabeth never would have put Stephen in danger. That's and a good point. So, so you're right. She figured it out, but like moments before we read about it, right. not days. So um, anyway, so there's a scary moment where they're driving back to Cooper's Chase. Oh, so and, scary. And Elizabeth and Joyce are scared, and Elizabeth is scared for Stephen, and I'm thinking, oh my God, he's going to get hurt because they're going to torture him to try to find out where the diamonds are. And there was a, like some fun light moments where Joyce was like, oh, they're in my microwave. Oh, they're in my teapot. You know, like, um, and it wasn't just 20,000 pounds. I thought it was millions. Um, but uh, anyway. It was a lot. Because it was a lot. It was, yeah. Um, but anyway, so there's a scene where they're driving back to Cooper's Chase and they're like, oh my God, I'm scared, I'm scared. And then they see some ambulances and they're like, oh my God. And then um, Sue and Elizabeth go up to um, the apartment and Bogdan opens the door, right? Is that what happened? Yeah. And he and, shoots Sue. Yeah. 
So and, the elevator's and- doors open and Bogdan shoots and Joyce and Elizabeth hit the floor. And, um, and then now we figure out that Sue was working with Siobhan, who turns out... Who was out, not Siobhan. But actually Douglas's other ex-wife. Right. So she was, her name was actually Sally. And so Poppy's this was... real mom was named Siobhan, but that right. was not her. But uh, Sue got... Douglas's other ex-wife to collaborate with her to help pull this all off and to fake to be Poppy's mom to identify the body and be the second person for all this. Right. So, but Bogdan had stopped, had beat up the guys that Shaban had brought. That's what the ambulance was for. And yeah, Sue got shot and then Joyce... In the shoulder, as as is a very responsible way of handling those things. And Joyce was treating her wounds and then been like, oh, you probably need a painkiller. And she's like, yes, please. And she's like, oh, that's too bad. Because you killed Poppy. Right. And, yeah. And Joyce is basically like, she's a nurse, so she's not going to let her die. But she's like, yeah, she's throwing up her wound. And she's like, yeah, you killed Poppy. So fuck your pain. Right. And I like to have revenge. And then we get the super happy fun ending. Uh, we get fun ending. Chris goes to London, shows up at Patrice's house, knocks on her door. And we get nervous because as a reader, we're like, oh, God, is the Connie Johnson operative here to kill Patrice? No, it's it's Chris there to confess his love. And it's definitely like the ending of Four Weddings and a Funeral moment where he's so like, outside, so like outside going, I figured out that I love you. Um. And then Joyce tricks Ibrahim into getting out of the house finally so she could to get her dog. To help her get her dog, which has been the like theme running from the first chapter. Like She's going to get this dog whose name is Alan. Was it adopted then, from some Eastern European country. And then Bogdan and Donna never met until the scene at the pier. Somehow, like... This is why I was obsessing on his age, because... I cared how what their age differential was, but like as characters, their tension totally makes sense because she's savvy and he's savvy, and he's totally he's, her type. And he's we don't totally know his type, but we know it's not he's Connie totally... Johnson. But okay. they have a moment where she's like, "I'm Donna," and he's like, "I'm Bogdan," and they're like, "Oh my, my, yeah, you are, yeah." So you you imagine because she likes a big, climbable man. He sounds like a big climbable man. Right. And he's not going to be... We have questions about their age difference, but they don't seem incompatible. And he's not going to be intimidated by the fact that she's a cop. And hopefully, because... One of his best quotes is when he's talking to Chris, who is a policeman, he's in conversation with Chris. He's like, you must never talk to the police. It's the law. (laughs) (laughs) And he's so deadpan that you're like, you know that's a joke i think he knows that's a joke he's in on this right right (laughs) i'm not sure though right like it's just so sweet like he yeah it's very cute um and then lance okay so the two diamonds that elizabeth uh left uh who gave connie got left at the pier 
and Lance picked them up, and he's like... Right, so this was like was supposed to be a handful of diamonds, but turned out to be just two diamonds, which is why everybody got shot a lot. Right. But as Lance turns off the cameras, he's like, he ends up pocketing those two diamonds. And, and so... we know... What we know from Lance's backstory is that he is now renting the apartment that he lives in from the rich girl that he was partnered with, who then broke up with him. And he's paying rent to her, even though she doesn't need the money and he can't afford it. Right. So he's kind of like screwed financially. He's losing his hair. And from the beginning, Joyce was like, I want to tell him about hair plugs because I know my, my friend's grandson got it and it's working wonders for him. <laughs> right and so he has these two diamonds and he's like well they're supposed to be really great i'll go and sell them so he goes to a diamond dealer and they're only worth yeah hundred thousand yeah hundreds hundreds yeah and so he's like of course elizabeth wasn't gonna give the biggest diamonds when she had the two um, but it but- turns out to be just enough for him to go get the hair transplant. hair transplant which apparently another friend talked to me about recently so apparently this is a thing that the people are doing okay it's really where they take the you know the hair from the back of your head that grows for longer and put it in the front of your head and it helps to yeah so yeah but he gets so it's, it's cute because you're like he's doing something unethical but it's like just enough unethical that you're like eh, it's okay because like you know again you stole enough diamonds to get Botox. You stole enough diamonds to get, you know, a hair transplant. Right, right. So not, and he didn't. And he was able to pay off his apartment from his ex who cheated on him. Right. Which was nice. So it must have been more than hundreds of pounds, but it was like way less. I think less it was hundreds of thousands, but not millions. No. I think, I've been saying, I think, I think the amount of was like 20 million pounds. For the. Was the amount of the whole bag. So I think he got like. A couple of hundred thousand. No, let I him thought pay was... off his apartment. Yeah, I thought he it was... paid off his apartment and then got his hair transplant. Uh, our numbers are all over the place. Now I want to go I mean, back. We, and look that's up. never been a gift of this pod. <laughs> is numbers <laughs> fair? Fair. So, and then they got to um, this charity that works with dementia patients. Oh my god, super happy fun charity. So there's an entirely new narrator who we've never met before. No, we met her. We met her in the prologue. Oh. So in the prologue, there's a woman who's going into this charity organization where she volunteers. And her, her husband had died, but he had had dementia before he died. And... So she really cares about this organization. And so she's going in to like do her volunteer accounting hours. Right. At this organization that she cares a lot about. That, and you forget about it because it's a prologue. So at the end of the book, this same woman is like, there's been a bank error in our favor. <laughs> What's going on here? And so she's so like, she, she double just... checks and triple checks and calls the the bank. And like, no, they have 20 million pounds. <laughs> deposited f- to living with dementia which has been you know mentioned a couple times throughout the book right because steven and yeah and and penny who is from the first book and and uh yes and there's another little where this woman is volunteering and not that important but she's like i think i should interrupt their board meeting 
This seems Yeah, important. there's this whole moment where she's just like, I would never interrupt a board meeting, but they should know this for what they're talking about right now, that we now have 20 million pounds that we didn't have yesterday. Right. So, and then that's the end of the book. Soupy, happy, fun times. And then... And, and I think I before we took a break, um, Chris goes and confesses his love to Patrice. Right. We said that, yeah. And so, it's just, yeah, so there's the creep... The Chris Patrice love, the Donna Bogdan possibility. Possibility. There's the living with dementia gets a huge amount of money. They have and to like Joyce, reframe everything. And Joyce got Ibrahim out of the house. So And Joyce got Ibrahim to drive her to get Alan the dog. Super happy fun times. So it, it it ends very satisfyingly. And also I wanted the, the next book to be out now. I, but I liked that the way that the, at the pier with like the two basically Elizabeth set it up so that Martin Lomax and Frank Andrade got murdered. She set that up. Some of the people she cared about could have been hurt. And that's a bold choice to make. And so it all turned out fine because the people who died were bad people, but Bogdan you know, could have been hurt. Bogdan could have been hurt. Lance could have been hurt. I don't know if Elizabeth cares about Lance, but yeah, yeah. But he's a person. He's not a bad person. He's just, yeah. a, you know, he's just an agent. And um, even setting up the villains to be killed. Like, you know what I mean? It's, it's a very, to me, in some ways, like the way that sometimes Agatha Christie of books end with the uh, villain dying. I, I like the fact that it made me think, like, how do I feel about this? Well, and also, like, the setting up Ryan Baird when they were like, oh, no, no, he's not going to get punished for mugging and um, hurting Ibrahim. Oh, we're going to set him up for other crimes. Right. Like, that's an interesting ethical thing. Right. And then that's the thing is what I'm saying, like, it's, great in this scenario because it's retribution for a person that we feel fine about but we we understand that it's the access to power right that got him set up and like this is a 19 year old who's weeping about the fact that he's going to go to to jail forever and i don't feel for him because of who he is and he kicked abraham in the head and he's a jerk and all the things but you switch that around with a 19 year old of color who's been set up by a system that's right you know right exactly designed to screw him which is how it actually goes down right right and so it was satisfying but it it did remind you that you know the the uh, system that isn't it doesn't actually normally work in this way where there's a team of spunky octogenarians octogenarians who are fighting on the side of of rightness i was like no often probably the person without access to power gets set up and goes to jail forever or for a very long time so i i don't know i i I like that it kept it light but i was aware of the privilege well i um that reminds me of this really interesting part of the book when Elizabeth and Joyce went to Belgium and came back and Joyce was having an interior monologue with herself about 
young people these days aren't capable of doing this. They just whine their snowflakes. And then in the next sentence goes, wait a minute. I don't actually think that. I just read this in an article. I read this in an article and all the young people I know are working their butts off like Donna, you know, and it was so. She said fighting new fights. Yeah. It was interesting, right? Because I think it was actually in my memory, it was Elizabeth who had that moment, but right. But they were just like, blah, 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 blah. These Gen Zers, blah, blah, blah. And they were like, actually, I don't think that at all. I just read that. Oh, now I'm curious which one it was, but yeah, but it was, it is this great, like, wait a minute, this whole pitting old people against young people. I don't actually, you know, you know, cause it, that's one of the great things. Cause we talked about how, um, people, um, the young people are respecting the Thursday murder club and listening to them and going, but it, the other way around is also true. Right. That the old people. Right. Aren't that they, saying, they do see value in the young people and they're not like, oh, I, I know. Yeah, you're right. They're not saying, oh, you guys just don't understand because you're young and you're naive and you're stupid. And, and your petunias and this new generation yeah. doesn't get it. No, you're right. There is a lot of respect between the different generations. Yeah. In a way that, yeah, was really lovely and refreshing. So I have to do a rant. I promised a rant. Give me this rant. Okay. So side rant about, so we liked this book because it's got humor and humanity in the way that um, we enjoyed the Thomas, Tommy and Tuppence books. And um, like the other thing we liked about the Tommy and Tuppence books is it's got humor, humanity, but also then there turns out they're good at solving crimes. Right. Right. So I watched just in the last couple uh, days um, because I tend to watch about 20 minutes of a show when I'm going to bed and that's it. (laughs) But that's because I have small children. But anyway, um, there was a partners in crime series about Tommy and Tuppence using the basic premise and basic plot. Um, I thought it just came out. Where where was this? Is it on BBC or? Well, it was by Acorn TV, but apparently it was done back in 2015. What the heck? But I only first heard about it. I was recently advertised on, I don't know what show I was watching, what channel. So I was like, okay. And so I recorded it and there were six episodes total. The first three did. It's um, called Partners in Crime. It's called Partners in Crime. So the first three did The Secret Adversary, the book. Um, they never did do the partners in crime, like solving, um, like random crimes, like partners in crime. And then, um, they just titled it that. And then the second three did the book N and M, which you and I haven't talked about yet. Right. Um, and they said it in the fifties, not the twenties and Tommy and Tuppence are already married and have a young son. For both of these, they're set at the same time, whereas actually the secret adversary, they were getting together and in um, the N&M, they've been married for 20 years. Right. Uh, so like it kind of splits a difference and has them kind of in the middle. Um, but here's the problem. They are not funny. 
like the casting was okay like a, you know how they cast Tom, Tommy and Teppence and what they looked like was you know and they were not funny and they made the dumbest sleuthing mistakes and it bit them in the butt uh, and differently than in the books right and so like i found myself so mad at the characters oh, i no, finished it the worst because like for example they're trying to find a suspicious person in a boarding house and so like okay i'm gonna go search this room you distract him right so he goes to search and she's outside distracting great fine but then she sends him the person they're distracting away tom tuppen sends him away so then she comes into the room that tommy is searching and says i can't keep him much longer and he's like i found the thing i found proof and they start talking about the proof in, in the bad the guy's room. house with bad guys right there and it's like no 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 take the proof and leave right. or something don't have the conversation about the proof in the room when you know he's coming back oh no and that's just one of many times where i was like also nnm which you and i haven't talked about yet but have you read it yeah they are on character like they take on aliases for that and in this their this adaptation they do that but then they drop their aliases like that they're terrible they drop their aliases with almost every character they call each other tommy and tuppence they go oh no and they drop their aliases all the time and i was like oh my god do you have no idea how to be undercover oh no like oh my god and so right and that's not how it works in the book not at all they don't drop their aliases they're really good at it and so right and that's i think that's part of why you root for tommy and tubbets because like when you first meet them they're ingenues but also kind of good at this just as like either an instinct or whatever but and so and then in them they they were they're seasoned right and so yeah they were so bad and then it's not there's no like humor breaks there's none of that banter no sexual tension no banter no nothing Ugh. Um, why are we even here i was so mad because you know there's a lot of agatha christie adaptations including a brand new movie that just came out a week ago of death of the on the nile yes. and um which i haven't seen yet but um i don't even know if you can stream it um but uh yeah we've seen the preview we've seen the preview and it's got a depeche mode as the um, um soundtrack for the trailer so you know i approved of that as an 80s child but whatever um but you know there's a lot of agatha christie adaptations and sometimes i've enjoyed them or been like oh that's interesting how they changed it da, da, da. but this one i was like if you're gonna do tommy and tuppence you have to be funny and have banter yeah to take that away then we're just well, why are we here it's just dry it's just and scary you know and there's nothing oh so anyway i 
um, it was disappointing. Um, oh. and, and so I was like, why am I even finishing it? Cause I was getting mad. Um, <laughs> And then, but, but at the end i was like i'm just gonna hate watch it and see how it turns out <laughs> um and yeah and speaking of pier they also have a showdown at the pier at the end of N- nrm which had you know all sorts oh. of anyway but i'm just like you know like i like that they're also going to be doing a recent a new adaptation of why didn't they ask evans which are they yeah that's one of my faves yeah you sent me the link for that oh i forgot (laughs) (laughs) are they yeah you told me oops (laughs) but emma thompson is in it and oh yeah 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 yeah, yeah. and and so i'm hoping because that also is such a funny one it's a funny one it's a spy one it's in the 20s so i really hope that they don't fuck it up like this partners in crime so i just had to do a rant about like if you're gonna do yeah yeah don't yeah again again that's why we're that's why i really like this book and i you know maybe somebody who's a fan of a different uh author would find a derivative of that but like i think being an agatha christie reader now i would call myself um after this podcast with you reading the book and i'm like because he even says he has joyce saying like in a book uh kendrick would be the murderer wouldn't that be funny if we were in a book if i think if we were in a book my hip wouldn't hurt so much and that's such an agatha christie drop because she does that in every book where she's like in a book it would be like this but this is not a book <laughs> and so right the fact that joyce does that is just to me like such a you know, it's a, it's a direct reference. I feel like it was really an, a nice nod or wink to the Agatha Christie readers. Totally. And pulling in MI5 spy stuff with murder and with, you know, uh, the humor and all the things. It just felt like the best of the best of the best of the things that we love about Agatha Christie. And it made me feel like this author had read everything and thought, how could I synthesize it into a really interesting read? And, and not... I don't know. I feel like sometimes in the modern era, the, the twist on twist on twist on twist on twist, I see dead people can be, okay, you gave me 14 heart attacks just to make it novel. And like, he didn't do that. It was right. just like, it was interesting and, and I couldn't figure it out. And I was up until the end, like, aha, that's what's happening. But it also wasn't, pornographic in the way that it had to take a turn or something but just to be novel right you know it was just like oh yeah cool you did it <laughs> while being clever and while being heartwarming and while being all the things and again i thought i liked i thought that it, you know the inclusivity that he included and even like you know there was not gay stuff in it but you know joyce's inner monologue was like you know before everything happened she's like you know, we need something new to happen. Maybe if there were a fire or if there were like a gay affair on the campus, that would be great. And, you know, and the hairdresser's gay. And so I feel like the inclusivity of like LGBT stuff like felt like appropriate, not, you know, condescending and not like we're throwing in a trans character because, you know, like we're yeah. the new reboot of Sex in the City or something. It's just like, it just felt like authentically open 
and having characters of color in a way that like felt okay to me i hope you know i mean i I, to me at least you see how sushi is like hey pay attention to me (laughs) i just see her (laughs) it was a delight and i'm so sorry that tummy and compass series was not that right well i mean and but i am definitely looking forward to the next book from this series oh so good so so good but, so we uh, did it. It was hard for us. It took us a, several weeks to outline and then I had to, you know, do life and things. But like now we we did it. We did it. I don't know if it's a super long episode. It's hard to tell. Does that mean that the does that mean that the next one we have to do is and then what there were none? Yep. It does. Uh, we can do it. We can do it. Uh, Speaking of have to reread it. The opposite of this. It's so dark. So, no, we can't say dark. That's colonialist language. We have to say it's. Oh, what's what's the what's the, what's the word to say for that? If we don't mean dark is bad, because dark doesn't mean bad. As a theme, it's... how do you? Yeah, because it's. I mean. <sighs> See how ingrained it is in our brain. Everyone is horrible. Yeah. It's, yeah, I want to say dark too. Got to work on that language. We'll do it for the next one. But yeah, we got, we got a lot of work to do for that one. Whew. Yeah. I've been on, on pause with my therapist because, you know, things have been pretty chill, but I gotta, I gotta (laughs) re-up. I gotta (laughs) schedule an extra session with my therapist to get ready for this one. Okay, should we uh, say goodbye on this one? And Yeah, all right. Well, thank you so much for joining us for a very special episode of Baropod. Baropod. And we will time. see you next time for And Then There Were None Sadness. <laughs> depression. Sadness and depression. <laughs> okay. Okay, bye.